You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. The elves are the oldest, wisest, and most skillful of all the races in Middle-earth. They are immortal beings, many of whom have been alive since the early years of the First Age. The mighty lords who command the forces of the elves are formidable leaders, and when the elves unite beneath their glittering banners, there are few who can stand against their might. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Matt, and today we're going to be talking about some pointy ears. Jeremy, you're a big fan of elves, aren't you? Yes, I am, Matt. I am a big fan of elves. Uh, the ears aren't really what I like about the elves, I must admit, though. I think I like the the, the immortality angle for it. The fact that every loss really makes you you, you get a tear in your eye. And there's such a big part of Middle Earth, like right from the start, you've got the elves. It's it's almost the story of the elves. It really is, isn't it? Like, I mean, obviously you got all the the lore in the back, so you've got the the Silmarillion and all of that, and it's just an an epic tale spanning thousands of years, and it all comes well, maybe not to a head at uh, in the Third Age, but to a, to an end, I suppose. The Third Age is a decline for the elves, so yeah. you, it's almost the, the end story, them wrapping up, and you've got them hitting their real height and First Age, Second Age sort of stuff. But the nice thing about an elf army, and, and in this case a Rivendell army, is you can play any age. You can put them in confidently in any part of Middle-earth against pretty much anyone, and you've got a force that fits in thematically. Absolutely, and... I, you know, we're not going to be talking about these sort of profiles today, but I, I love coming up with profiles for some of the elves that possibly uh, Games Workshop will never actually make. So, uh, Feanor, uh, maybe Celebrimbor, although that's a possibility. We could see that one day. Uh, and, you know, just all of those incredible elven heroes from ages past. Mm, yes, definitely. Finarfin, Fingolfin, Finfinfin, fin, 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 all the Finns. <laughs> Every Finn under the sun. So let's get straight into it with Know Thine Enemy. Know Thine Enemy. And we start our Know Thine Enemy this episode with one of the greatest heroes in the entire game, in my opinion. Uh, Gilgalad, High King of the Elves. Just an incredible hero, <laughs> Jeremy. I, I don't know about you, but I have absolutely loved using him in the new rules. And I thought he was great before. I thought he was great in the last edition, but now, wowee. It seems to be a theme. These big heroes are finally getting their worth at the moment. And before his fight, Nine, which was his big thing, was good, but everyone else could strike and match him. Now it feels like he's on a tier of his own. And he's the one guy that I'm confident that if he goes up against Sauron, he can definitely make Sauron think and worry because he's he's a fighter and he's a leader and he's a brilliant one. He's a hero of legend, so he's got a fair few friends following him and his stat line's just perfect. It's got move six, but you can fix that up a bit later. Fight nine, 
three plus shoot in case you want to use like really old rules about stealing people's bows. Strength four, defense seven, which is okay, but you can make it even better. Attacks three, wounds three, courage seven, which is almost laughably good. And then he's got three might, three will, and a fate. Only one fate. That's probably his biggest weakness, but still, he's got one, and he's got the three might if you need it. Yeah, three wounds and one fate. It means that when you do have him as your leader, there's a reasonable chance he'll actually take a wound, but it's it's really not that bad. He's, he's quite tanky, and as you said, he gets that extra defense when he takes a shield, so defense eight, very tough. He's got an interesting set of war gear as well. So he's got his heavy armor and Aiglos, which is his spear. And that's a, an elven-made spear, so you get the elven-made bonus. And then he may add one to all his rolls to wound when making strikes. Now, that elven-made, does that mean he wins draws? It means Are there that, a better chance? Yeah, better chance on draws, which means that um, this is such a fantastic uh, buff for him because before, Iglos, despite being elven-made, was not an elven blade. So you didn't get that uh, three plus to win a drawn fight rather than a 50-50, which it, it means that if you really, really want to guarantee a win in a combat against a tough hero, you can strike up, you're guaranteed to be fight 10, so at worst you'll be equal fight, and you, you're winning those dra like drawn fights more easily. So he just doesn't lose combats. Like, you've got to really botch to lose a combat with Gilgalad. And you mentioned that like, he's even better now because less heroes can strike. Well, even when they can strike, often they're low enough fight value that they're failing half the time anyway to reach his fight nine. His fight nine is such a good defensive thing as well as an offensive power. It means you can start dueling big monsters, trolls, even Balrogs and things like that, and you're not that stressed. And they'll take time to get through him. Even if he does lose out, he's got some, some heroics as well that really help you with that. As you said, he's got the strike, which is very good. If you're going monster hunting, you may want to go for a strength. And with the one plus the wound, it makes your wounds, even though you're only strength four, makes it very deadly. Uh, you've got the resolve for the magic. You've got defense. In case you get outnumbered, you put him out of position. And then you've got a challenge, which I'm not sure how often you use, but it's, it's nice and thematic. You've got to go up against another hero of legend. So there's not that many of those around. But I guess if you want to, maybe if you want to duel Sour on one-on-one -on -one for a couple turns and put him off. I, I may think work out, probably won't. It's it's not so thematic, but I think uh, a hero that he would absolutely love to heroic cha challenge would be um, King Aragorn, because Aragorn has that choice of fighting a very, very tough hero to the death one-on-one, -on -one, or not being able to use that free might point for moves and such. So, yeah, that's that would be a pretty cool matchup. Obviously, the two did not actually live at the same time, but... It'd be cool to see in-game, I think. I'm still questioning its value, but I, I'm going to reserve my judgment a bit until I actually try it and see if there's any value there because it's all theory at the moment for that one. So hopefully people let us know. We also talked about our options. So you've got a horse. It doesn't have a name. It's just a horse and a shield. So horse for 10, shield for 5. Didn't he used to have an armored horse? Or am I thinking of someone else? Um, I think he did. Yeah, I think he... Uh... I could be wrong about that. I think I've modelled him with an armoured horse from memory, but I can't recall if he actually had one or not. Doesn't matter. The horse armor's like inconsistent anyway. So if you've got a horse, it's a horse. It's his only horse option. So just talk your opponent through that and just remind them that it's only defence for horse. It's no Asphaloth. It's no yeah. Felleroth? Felleroth. Yeah. That's uh, Aeol's horse, yeah. Shadowfax. 
of the good ones. But he's also got an army upgrade that he can use for his warband. It used to be everyone, but his warband, for one point, you can upgrade to Kingsguard, which are fight value of 6 slash 3 plus. So the 3 plus stays the same. But 5 value 6 is that really nice number where other heroes aren't matching you, or if they're really good heroes, they might be. But you've got Elven-made weapons. You've got fight 6. You can put it on Spearman if you want. The, um, my favorite target is the Spear Shield, guys. And then you can just sit there and block with Fight 6. Or you can go and Spear Support anyone with Fight 6 and uh, think about fainting with your front row. It's really handy. Yeah, it's quite incredible, actually. Like, there's there's really still, even now, not that many uh, Fight 7 Plus models in the game. So if you've got a front line of Fight 6, or even just the Spear Wall of Fight 6, you're just stopping every hero from being effective. You're just blunting them. Because they're just going to lose more often than not. It's really handy. And it means that if you're going to ally as well with, say, Numenor, you've got an option to to really surprise people. Because you can keep your spearmen moving around. There's a few historic allies you can put in, a few, a few other allies. But it's so flexible and it's so powerful. And it really makes average heroes or even good heroes sweat. You don't want a Faramir around there. You don't want a Gothmog around there. Because they're only fight five. They're not going to be matching your your generic troops. Yeah, exactly. So tough. Now, the special rules are also really handy. We've got a new one, Blood and Glory, which I think is probably my favorite addition. I really love that rule. We've got Terror and Woodland Creature, but the Blood and Glory, I really want to focus on that because his job is to hunt heroes. That's When you pay this many points, you're paying 170 plus points, maybe up to 185 for a hero. You want them to start killing some captains in order to, to justify their investment. And with this, you get a real encouragement because you can return some of the might you spent to do that. Maybe you bogged them and you need to do a heroic combat to get into them. You just get that might back. It's really, really nice. And it, I like it because it encourages you to do what he's supposed to do. Yeah, it becomes not even just like, oh, yeah, this is what I need to do in this army. It becomes such an opportunity just to, to keep it snowballing. It's fantastic getting might back with a big hero like this. With the tactics, which we'll go into very shortly... It's sort of what you want to do with the elves. You want to pull out their key models and then let your average models take on their below average models and then win just by quality. So it really does help with that. He can go pinpoint things. Uh, he loves going on to take on the things like Birder, the Troll Chieftain, uh, Shades, anything like that that's a hero as well as something really important. You spend the might, you get it back. Uh, the Terror is a nice insurance. Woodland Creature is always a nice surprise when... You line up in front of a forest and then suddenly duck behind it. So you've got a good set of rules. And then you've got a couple more as well. The High King of the Elves. This is a stand fast of 12 inches, which doesn't come up a whole lot in his army because they've already got such good courage. But even Courage 5 fails a few times. So it is nice to have that around. But the good one, Matt, the one that you like, my Lord favorite, of the West. My absolute favorite. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. <laughs> So you get to re-roll a, a native dice from, from a dual roll and also a wound roll, but this can also be added to the banner as well because it's a different die. So as long as you, you roll a different one, you can potentially have two re-rolls to win, taking you up to five or six dice that you can throw it with higher fight than anything. The chance of you not winning is really, really low. And then to wound, his strength four doesn't look that pretty, but you've got one plus to wound for his spear, You've got his reroll. You've potentially got heroic strengths, or you've got a horse, or whatever else you want. You can do some real damage with this. 
Yeah, absolutely. On the charge, he's just a total beast. Like, yeah, as you say, fight nine with up like potentially six attacks. How often? Well, okay, I don't, I don't want to put it that way. How often you're going to roll six dice and not get a six? Because you know it, it happens. But uh, he, oh, he just doesn't lose fights very often. Honestly, it's so good. I actually, com- I played a game not that long ago and completely forgot about this rule. And he was still good enough to, to pull out the win like, and do a lot of damage. With this rule, if you actually remember to use it, unlike me, then uh, you're just never going to lose with him. He's just so good. We say never. You, you don't say never. It's, it's going to oh, happen no, occasionally. Yeah. I, I say never as the eternal optimist, but yeah, I mean, still be careful with him. <laughs> don't just throw him into anything willy-nilly. But he is kind of, he's one of those characters where he can really turn the tables on your opponent. They can go, oh, it's, it's just an elf, right? It's just an elf-sized model. I've got, <laughs> a, I've got a dragon. Why would I be worried? And then he just goes in and just beats it down, like just into the Absolutely. turf. Yeah. So a fantastic hero and a great start to, um, to the Rivendell army list. He's definitely the kind of hero that you need to just play the old Halo tactics against him, just avoid him, because if he's in combat, he's doing damage. So you want to just minimize the amount he can do by keeping him out. Tough to do when he's on horse. The old shoot the horse out, run away tactic is pretty good. But once he's in combat, he just rolls it up and starts getting kills. Keep your heroes away from him unless you're really going all out with the strikes because he's going to make a mess of you. Absolutely. And as you say, the horse, very, very important for Gilgalad. He loses a, quite a lot of power when he loses that horse so if you see a gilgal out on horse that horse is your number one priority for knocking out i think uh, over any other uh, elven hero definitely agree with that matt that's number one target because otherwise he'll win the game on his own well almost anyway and a wild kylie appears kylie where have you been hey guys Hello. I, I have been having uh, dinner with Gran, and I was running a bit late because traffic, and then, you know, I got home, jumped on, and came here. So, hi. Hello, Hello. Kylie. Hello. The fantastic news is, Kylie, yeah. we haven't covered anything of note, just only one model so far, so you've only missed uh, Gilgalad, but I don't think oh. that's a big deal. Oh, just not a big deal? He's Gilgalad. He's like the craziest elf that ever crazied an elf. Oh, we, we sort of brushed over it. Br- brushed over it. Brushed, brushed over Gilgalad. Did, did you guys talk about how he like gets might back now when he kills stuff? Oh, we, yeah, might, we might have mentioned we definitely it. definitely mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the fact that he now has Lord of the Rest as well, which is like crazy awesome. If you like, remember it, yeah. And, and mm. the Fight 6 Elves. You did talk about the Fight 6 Elves, right? We touched on them briefly. I think so. We touched on them, Matt, didn't we? We said they were pretty pretty decent. Like, there's some use to Fight 6. Yeah, they're okay. And the fact that Agalos is now an Elvermaid Spear. So he can spear support in the back rank and then, like, protect himself from being smushed by a troll whilst killing the troll. Mm, yeah, I think I think we talked about Elvermaid. And, and I, if I remember correctly, I knew exactly what that rule did. <laughs> So yes, that's Gilgalad, the beatiest beat stick that ever did beat. So, let's move right along, shall we? The next <laughs> hero in our lineup of incredibly crazy elf lords is Elrond himself, the master of Rivendell. Actually, in my book, there's a misprint as well. It actually does say Elrond, comma, himself, comma, master of Rivendell. So I've got, I've got the extra one. Oh yeah, I was reading it verbatim. 
Is, does that mean that he has an evil twin, or that he has another twin growing out of his neck, like a two-headed elf monster? Is one from like a um a dark universe or something that has a goatee? I think. Ah, that that around. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, we like to keep it on topic at the Green Dragon podcast. So straight into his profile, we have uh, a infantry hero, hero of legend, all the good stuff. He can take eighteen troops. Fantastic. He is fight six, uh, strength four, defense five base, three attacks, three wounds, courage seven, and he's got the three, 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 might, will, and fate. So a really solid leader. Uh, he can up his defense with some heavy armor to get to that sweet defense seven, uh, that for only 10 points, so not bad. He comes in at, I think, the same cost as Gilglad, is that right? He is exactly the same cost uh, at no. 170. Is he not? Yeah, exactly the same cost. The only downside difference is that Gilgalad can get a shield for 5 points and Auron can get heavy armor for 10 points. Yes. Yeah, that's a difference. So you're going to end up probably paying a different amount. Yeah. Nice, yes. So, if your army contains Elrond, Rivendell Knights are back to what they used to be and do not count towards your bow limit. So, now you actually have to take Elrond to get that, which I think is fine. I, I think... Most people were running Elrond with the Rivendell Knights anyway, and we'll get to the Rivendell Knights a bit later. We had initially a little bit confusion about what do not count towards your bow limit exactly means, but it's been addressed in the latest FAQ. So you basically don't count over models at all when working out how many models are in your army for the purposes of the bow limit and for whether or not they have a bow. So you, when you count for bow limit, just take them off, put them aside, throw them in the bin, whatever, ignore them, work out your bow limit as normal, and then pick them up and put them back. Hopefully you haven't smashed them too much. Yeah, so in exactly the same way as heroes, right? No difference at all. Yes, yeah. that's correct. Cool, cool. Now, Elrond's war gear, he has the sword Hadhafang. I have no idea how you pronounce that, but I just gave it a crack. Not like that. <laughs> and uh, the ring Vilya, one of the three Elven rings. So Hadhafang. Hathafang? Hathafang? Hathafang. TH is like a TH almost. Yeah, I think so. It's like a soft TH, so Hathafang. Yeah. Hathafang. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was That's just closer. Yeah. So it is an Elven Hathafang. <laughs> yes. Close enough. Uh, so it is an Elven-made hand-and-a-half sword. Additionally, Elrond gets a bonus of plus one to wound spirit models when making strikes with Hathafang. Hathafang. That's really good. That's yeah, really handy. Nice little bonus. Uh, could be useful against a lot of different things, I would think. Particularly uh, Angmar. Ringwraiths? Uh, yeah. hello? Yeah, Ringwraiths. Yeah, oh, my, my Nazgul of Dol Guldur hate this guy. He just rips them apart. And he's got that Elven Ring, so he's re-rolling his fate. So very tough to take down. Uh, if you definitely chuck that heavy armor on him, I think it's, it's really useful. Defense 7 uh, makes him just really, really tough to kill. Unless you've got a pajama theme, you're taking the armor. Yeah, definitely. Uh, his heroic actions, he's got all the good ones, I think. He's got resolve, channeling, strike, and defense. So, all the stuff you would want, I'd imagine. Uh, I mean, you, you wouldn't mind a march in there, but yeah. you can live oh, without yeah. it. Mm. Since, you know, you can grab a captain real cheap for 80 points. I agree with Kylie on that one. A march would be fantastic, especially coupled with his magic power later on because being able to get that in range is so useful. So that's the only one I've missed on it. And we'll talk about that in the scenario, actually, as well. 
I, I think they actually very specifically left March off um, all these big heroes so that you had some incentive to take the captains. That is yeah. most likely the case. Yeah. So he's got the heavy armor and horse options. As we mentioned, you are most likely taking a horse because he becomes so powerful. Why wouldn't you? Uh, he's got terror and woodland creature. It's interesting that actually, I don't think we brought this up before, but they changed the name. It used to be, um, what was it? Noldoran lineage or high elf lineage or something was the terror rule for the high elf lords. Yeah, I think it was, was named uh, something different. I think it was used to be called uh, lineage of the firstborn. That sounds right. Yes. Yep. Um, but nope, just standard terror now, which makes sense. He terrifies everyone, not just for his birth, for his insane combat skills. Uh, and he also has a favorite of Kylie's, this special rule, which is oh, a, yeah, a rule that used to be in a second Elrond profile, and they've sort of combined them here. Foresight of the Eldar. Before the game begins, roll a d6 and make a note of the result. Those are Elrond's foresight points for the battle. During the priority phase, after the dice have been rolled, Elrond may choose to expend, ooh, chose to expend. Ooh, uh-oh. That's a little typo <laughs> there. Oh no. Oh, I don't like those. Okay. He may chose to expend these foresight points to alter the controlling player's dice roll. For each foresight point expended, Elrond may alter the dice score by either plus one or minus one, which is great, to a minimum of one and a maximum of six. How handy is that, Kylie? This is probably one of the most broken special rules in the entirety of the game. Period. And Kylie never overstates things. Hyperbole is not part of her repertoire. I, I 100% agree with that and everything Kylie says in the future as well. It, it, look, this is ridiculously good as well because it's got multiple ones. And if you're lucky enough to get three or four or five or even six, you can use it on multiple turns. It really does turn the tide of the battle. And this is an army that would prefer to have priority. And suddenly you've got these foresight points for probably very little investment in all honesty. And they are just so useful. And they're frustrating as an opponent because you know that you're probably going to have to spend your valuable might calling heroics to get moves off because with the ease that Elrond generates priority or loses priority when they don't want it. Yeah, and I think yeah. lo losing the priority is really important too. You might be in that really awkward little position where you don't want to go first. Like you're very close to engaging, but not quite. You can't get everything in. You want to see what your opponent is going to do. And you just neg down and, and just lose that priority. So you force your opponent to move. Yeah, I agree a 100%. Like this this rule, like before the we had the change of addition, you have to fork out, I think it was like 205 points to get foresight of the Eldar. But now it's just, it's, 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 it's on a whole other level. The fact that it's with his combat profile, you get Wrath of Bruin on top of it, plus all of his other new shiny fancy things. Even just rolling a one or a two can drastically alter the state of a game. Just being able to, you know, that one time when you equal up priority and you're, you're going to lose it because you, you tied with your opponent... Just being able to, you know, swing that to yes, I, I lose priority or yes, I win priority, even just once in a game can be game altering. I mean, we all know how good the Palantir is with, with Saruman. This is on the similar level and even even just rolling a one can change a game. And let alone the fact if you manage to roll a six or a five, like, yeah, it's it's a stupidly good special rule. And honestly, for 170 points, it is an absolute bargain to pick up. The magic powers for Elrond are simple but fantastic. You've got two. 
and you've only got three will, so you don't have a lot of choice here, but they are wow. good choices. No, you only yeah, have they're three good. will until we get into some other profiles. No, 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 we're not up to that yet. We've only got three will. If only there was a way to get that, we'll find out later, maybe. The Wrath of Bruinen, this is the upgraded Nature's Wrath, where you hit everything with the strength to hit as well as knocking them down. This one, it's... The, the knockdown's enough. Knockdown is such a fantastic power that it, it's it's scary. It takes a lot of effort to resist. It's cast on a 4+, plus, so it's not that hard to get off. But if you're up against an army that's got, say, Defense 4, this just rips a hole in the army. It's really tough. Even Defense 6 or something like that, it, it kills a few guys. It can end up killing something annoying like a banner or, or something you don't expect to, and it really does help you out. Uh, it's so good against like cavalry models, knocking them down. It's, it's so if the enemy charges you, you can cast it if you're in the back line and knock a bunch of them down. So the charge is ineffective. It's good offensive, good defensive, good at attacking. It's fantastic. If you can, you try and use all your will on this one. If only you could find some other way to get will. But then you've also got renew, which is just handy to to bump up a wound on something on a pretty easy cast of three plus. So someone, I don't know, an elf hero that's a bit weak and unarmed and helps you out, you may wish to renew just to, to protect for another turn. Particularly in scenarios like Fog of War and stuff, if the hero you're trying to protect, protect accidentally, you know, cops a wound or they manage to chip a wound off, just throwing a sneaky uh, renew over there can really help you going forward to, you know, keep that kind of a hero alive. I didn't realize it has 12-inch range either. That's fantastic. Like, that. that's as big a range as you could possibly want, I would imagine, in a Rivendell army for just being able to go from one end of the line. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's got buff from the last edition. Yeah, I think it, it was, was six before. Yeah, that's that's super handy. Yeah, really nice. Yes. There's also one other aspect of Wrath Bruin, and I just want to quickly touch on as well, that I think you kind of missed, Jeremy, is the extra uh, strength boost you get when you're casting it when your opponent's near water. Yes. If your opponent is ever, if there's like any water feature on the table, it is, you can do some serious psychological warfare with your opponent just by putting Elrond within, um, within 12 inches of that river, simply for the fact of your opponent is going to be so livid scared of going into that water feature and accidentally copying that strength eight hit that you can actually kind of like force them away from certain parts of the table and use that to your advantage. And it can be really, really uh, helpful to win games that you might otherwise not be able to win. It, it almost turns water features into impassable terrain. Because I, I yeah. don't think there's many armies that would be keen on walking into water anywhere near Elrond. Uh, and on that note, I think Wrath of Bruinen is just one of those spells that forces your opponent to move in a certain way that can be really handy. Like... Just, just making them not, and and as soon as they slip up, you just drop a ruin, a bruinen, and it just decimates them. It can be a game changer in a single turn, as Jeremy said. So, mm. yeah, really cool spell. One special rule that we I think skipped over is Lord of the West. Yes. Yeah, definitely He's big one up worth Lord. mentioning. He gets Lord of the West. He does. Lord of the West is like mm. super crazy awesome. It is. Yeah, we don't really I... need to say more about Lord of the West, do we? I mean, oh my god, he's it, got it. it. it is, it's it amazing. Is... It's that good. It yeah. really is that good. Like, it's, it's, oh, oh, to stop the botch. And like the fact that you can stack with banners is, oh, it's so Absolutely, good. Absolutely, yeah. It. So it. 
on the note of crazy good elven heroes, let's move right along to uh, one that you've been using a lot lately, mm. Kylie. Tell us yeah, about tell he's us about my Glorf. favorite. Yeah, he's my favorite elven lord out of all the elven lords that ever elven lord a lord. So Glorfindel, Lord of the West, he's a hero of Valor, so he's got that 15 model warband as we like. He comes in at a 145 points, which, you know what, is quite worth it for once uh, I get into his stats. He's fight 7, so already where we've got a massive tick uh, tick box right there. Strength 4, defense 5, 3 attacks, 3 wounds, carry 7, with 3 might, 3 will, and 3 fate. His war gear is just a simple elven made hand and a half sword. His heroic actions are Resolve, Strike, Strength, and Challenge. And now we get into the really cool, juicy part of his special rule. Okay, so for options, he has the Armor of Gondolin for 15 points and Ashvalos for 10 points. Now, these two war gear options, straight up, are ridiculous. So the Armor of Gondolin is heavy armor, so... Straight up, that's plus 2 defense, so that's already worth 10 of the 15 points. But additionally, monsters cannot target Glorfindel with brutal power attacks, which is insane. It means you can go into any monster, anything on the table that's a big scary thing, and feel confident in not getting absolutely destroyed by Rend or Hurl. It is, it is probably one of the best redeeming qualities of Glorfindel, just being having just having no monster fear. On top of this, you also get Ashvala, who is a horse, uh, a ho named horse that has the Fleetfoot special rule, which is crazy good. So you can just, you know, dart through woodland terrain features. And because it's Glorfindel, he has expert rider and horse lord. Because, you know, you never ever ever going to lose your horse. And I just, these, like, little combination, like, this this part of his profile, I think, is the best part of his profile. Just having this super mobile mount that he can get and just being, not being able to be hit by monsters. And the fact that he can't be hurled means the only way to kill his horse is by striking at it and hoping he fluffs his fate, which is not a great way of going about it. Yeah, Horse Lord, is, Horse Lord is one of the coolest rules, I think, that they introduced uh, in this edition. And for a hero like Glorfindel, it's just amazing. It means he, he's just probably going to be at full power for most of the game. Like, very, very tough to take that horse out. So, yeah, fantastic for him. Yeah, Kylie, you may have not mentioned this, but it's also moved 12. So it's up there with the fastest models in the game as well. It's moved 12? Move 12, yes. How did I miss that? I don't know. That's insane. That's that's Shadowfax. That Ashfaloth legitimately is better than Shadowfax. I don't think it has the will. I don't care. He's got three fate points. <laughs> Shadowfax doesn't have three fate points. Ashfaloth does. And Expert And Fleetfoot. Shadowfax doesn't have Fleetfoot. Okay. No, that's true. All right. Best He's horse saying... in Middle Earth. Vote below. We'll have a poll. Well, I'll definitely be making a poll on that. <laughs> <laughs> Matt signing up for more work. I like it. Uh, yeah, 12, 12 inch long horse. Fantastic. Fleetfoot. Fantastic. Expert rider. Fantastic. Horse lord. Fantastic. It's got everything you want. And horses are just so good. Horse. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. He's been doing a lot longer. And this is a guy that hunts Balrogs for fun. So makes sense. 
Well, yeah, okay, aside from the fact that my mind is blown with the fact that he has moved 12 in horse load, uh, moving right along, he also, like, because, you know, already, I feel like that profile is worth, you know, the 145, really 160 points that you'd be paying out for him. But no, there's more. He also has Terror and Woodland Creature, because of course he does, and Lord of the West, because of course he does, but it, this is the piece to this. This is what makes Glorfindel the best Elven hero in the game, in my opinion, at least. Unbending resolve. Glorfindel always counts as having the fortified spirit magical power cast upon him. This uh, is always in effect, even if his will points are reduced to zero. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Sound effect. So again. good. Yeah. Just incredible. It's, he just doesn't oh. care about spells. Doesn't care about spells. Doesn't care about monsters. Doesn't care about terrain. Doesn't care about, you know, the speed of the army. He can get anywhere he wants to be as quick as he wants. He can strike up against anything. He's got an elven blade to win the strike-offs. He's got defense 7 with 3 fate. A horse that can't die. With 3 rolls in combat and to wound. With terror on top of that. I dare you to find me a better model. Yeah, fair. What I find very interesting about these, uh, Glorfindel and Gilgalad especially, you've got these models that are such combat beat sticks that you're almost always going to get the horse upgrade for, but they don't have the horse models available. But yet you can go to third parties such as unreleased miniatures and pick up a, an alternative that may work instead. It seems like such a missed opportunity for Forge World or Games Workshop to put out these models that pretty much everyone would want to play straight out. And we've been dying for some new high elf heroes. So fingers crossed we get some. It seems weird that this is such a, a missed opportunity. These are fantastic models and a fantastic upgrade of a horse. And they would look brilliant if they put one out. And we just haven't got it yet. It's got to be on the list, surely. It has to be because it would just be an absolute bestseller. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. 100% agreed. Like I saw so many people picking up the, the new uh, Three Hunters and, and the new Gandalf with Pippin and I'm sure Dernhelm's done what... Has Dernhelm been released? I think it has, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's been released, or at least we hey? know what the... the what do you mean, hey? Not, not Dernhelm. Oh. I thought you were talking about the other dude. Oh, you know, uh, spear throwy guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. him, yeah, him, yeah. him. Elfhelm, Elfhelm. Yeah, he's that's, done the right too. that's the but, one, that's the one. These guys on horse, full armor, would just, and, and with a shield for Gilgalad, yeah, they would absolutely sell like hotcakes. Games Workshop is definitely not in the cake business, so that probably explains <laughs> why they haven't done this yet. They just don't want money, do they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I... They're, they're... <laughs> some, of the, some of the practices make you think they do, but um, others, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. If we were running it, it'll be a very different company. It probably would be bankrupt, but it'll be a different company. It would be. <laughs> um, and did we say Lord of the West? Because he's got Lord of the West as well. I think you mentioned that kind of thing. Yeah, Lord of the West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lord of the West. Yeah. Just throw Lord of the West on there. All right. Like, shall we get on the... Put a banner behind him. On the charge, yeah. he has like six attacks. Like, that's stupid. Yeah, like, I think we mentioned that with Gilgad. So many attacks, such high fight. He, they, they just don't lose fights like, often. Honest, honestly, I, I think he's probably one of the hardest models to kill in the game. Simply for the all of the defensive like little buffs he has, like how are you gonna catch him on a mirror twelve horse? How are you gonna zap him down with magic when he has unbending resolve? How are you gonna knock him out with brutal power attacks from um from uh monsters? And how are you gonna beat him heads up in a fight with strike offs when he has an elven made short 
Sword and Strike himself from Flight 7. Like, there are very few models in the game that can comfortably say, I can kill a Glorfindel comfortably. I actually, I'm, I'm going to say there is no model in the game that can say, I can kill Glorfindel comfortably. Smaug. <laughs> I think uh, Gothmog Lord of the Balrogs with a couple of Balrog friends would, would, would do a good job. I reckon even Smaug's going to struggle to take down Glorfindel. Well, he's just going to sit away and breathe fire, surely. With all that fate, though? Whoa. Yeah, but I, I don't think he's fire immune. I Okay, yeah, he's definitely got a lot going for him, for sure. So, and... so basically, what you're telling me is the one model in the game that you think that can comfortably <laughs> kill Glorfindel is the most expensive model in the game at 700 points, five times his point value. That is exactly what I said, yes. <laughs> I rest my case. I rest my case. Fair point, fair point. All right, so we've covered all the big guys, so let's look into some of the... Uh, possibly equally valuable smaller heroes within the high elf list, starting with Erastor, who is a personal favourite of mine, and he got some interesting little changes. So, he is uh, fight 6, strength 4, hits on a 3+, plus. actually, that's quite important. Uh, strength 4, defence 7, 2 attacks, 2 wounds, courage 6, and his old profile, he only had the 1 might point, now he's got 2, which is fantastic for him, he loves that. He's got 2 might, 2 will, and loses a fate point down to 2 instead of 3. He's got heavy armor, so he's defense 7, very nice, and Noldoran daggers, and this is the thing that really sets Erastor apart, and makes him sort of a, uh, a sleeping threat, like something, someone that you can underestimate a little bit. Noldoran daggers are elven-made daggers, Erastor may use these as throwing weapons, Erastor may reroll failed to wound rolls when throwing his daggers, or when making strikes with them, so unlike most, uh, throwing weapons. These can actually be used as hand weapons. I think it doesn't really say that there, but obviously they can, right? They're definitely hand weapons slash throwing weapons. Um, the fact yes. that... Yes, yes. The fact that you now uh, hit on the 3 plus on the charge instead of a 4 plus is actually massive. Like, it makes a really big difference for Aerostore, uh, because with the strength 3 and the reroll, you're getting a wound, like, quite a lot of the time, and sometimes you can just open a little hole in your opponent's line with him, get to a model that they might, might otherwise think is pretty safe. Um, he retains heroic strike. Huge. He loves that. He loves being able to strike up, and those two might points mean he can do it twice. And he's also got Terra and Woodland Creature, and Terra is definitely very handy for a smallish model that can potentially hold up, uh, like, something else, like, so say, a slightly bigger hero that uh, might have a lower courage or something like that. Could be very tough to charge him. And, yeah, he's just... He's a really nice model for 85 points, I think. percent agree with, with you there, Matt. The, the extra point of might and will was is such a big boon to him, like, more so than I think people will realize, particularly the will points, because the will points now means if you have full might and will, you can... and you can throw two dice at blocking a spell and have a good chance of resisting that if you're if you're willing to throw your two mine at blocking it. And being able to just have that one turn where you can pretty comfortably block a spell can be the difference uh, between losing a game and winning a game because that can be the opportunity where your opponent, you know, dives in with a ring wraith while we're with or goes at you with a troll, and they've set up this whole turn to get this one play off, and their play relies on them getting the spell off, and Arresta blocks blocks the spell straight up. And um, yeah, that can just it can be very very useful. I agree with that. And Matt, 
there is no doubt whatsoever that daggers are hand weapons as well because these are elven-made daggers and a restor may use them as throwing weapons. But then it also talks about when you reroll the wound, you can use it when throwing or when making strikes of them. You don't make strikes with throw weapons normally, so they're definitely one or the other. He somehow has got them on a string and they come back to him and he uses them a lot because they are, they are surprisingly good. He tends to kill things with his throwing weapon quite a lot. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just a nasty surprise when you get this terror elf munching down your line slowly and he's hard to move. Yeah, I think of them more like boomerangs. He just throws them, they chop a head off and come straight back. See, I, I always thought it was a bit more... Um, I'm not sure if you guys remember Yoda from um, uh, Revenge of the Sith, where they're like, entering the De- Jedi Temple and he throws his lightsaber at a guy and it like, lodges in his chest and he like jumps onto him and pulls the lightsaber back out and keeps fighting. That, that's what I imagine he just, he's doing with the throwing daggers. And whatever, he's, whatever way he's doing it, he, he's an undeniably stylish model. I really enjoyed painting Aristor. Uh, he's got really cool armor. He's got some nice flowing robes, which were, were enjoyable to highlight. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the model and I'm a big fan of the profile. I quite like him and Glorfindel in like the same list. They're fun. Yes. Yeah. I really like the helmet. I prefer Glorfindel just a little bit with the, the cape and the, the slightly different armor, but he's definitely a good one to paint. And I feel like the pose they've got him with the photos makes him look a little bit static. Uh, when you see him in real life, he's pretty good. Even though he's quite 2D, I think he's definitely a worthwhile addition. I wish they had more of those helmets around as well. So it's only the two that have that. It'll be really nice to to give us an upgrade pack so we can put him on Kingsguard and just have a whole regiment of, of that helmet. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah, absolutely. So, Kylie, let's go on to another one of your favorites, Arwen Undumiel. Yay! So, Arwen, for the longest time, she's been my girl. She's been my girl. She has pulled me out of so many tough jams, and I would I would go as far to say has won me a few tournaments too. And I'm very, very happy with the changes that has been made to her. So, she comes in at a bargain basement price of 60 points. <clears throat> she has fight 6 with a shoot of 3+, strength 3, defense 3, 1 attack, 2 wounds, and courage 6. She has one might, four will, one fate, and that alone is amazing, the fact that she now has an extra point of will. Uh, her war gear is uh, an elven-made sword. Heroic actions are resolve, channeling, and defense. For options, she now has the best horse in the game, Ashfaloth, for 10 points. A regular horse for another 10 points, if uh, Glorfindel decides to be in the list and goes, you're not taking my horse. And she can also grab an Elven Cloak for 5 points. Her special rules are Expert, Rider, and Woodland Creature. But by far the best thing that they've done, her magical powers, is Wrath of Bruidon on a 4+. She no longer has Wrath. She is just as good as her dad. And she is slamming you into the ground with the most devastating spell in the game. Yeah, really, really nasty. A, a will point over Elrond. You've got more magic yes. potential with Arwen, possibly. Uh, probably. It's, it's she's honest honestly, Arwen reminds me of a Barrowite in terms of how good she is on the table now. Like she has so much presence on the table for such little investment. Like sixty points, even just her with no upgrades is fantastic. You you stick her on Ashfaloth or a regular horse, she is she is going to tear things up and Fight six with an elven blade weapon is nothing to be sniffed at. 
and that point of might can be can be really handy in really tricky scenarios. And honestly, I'm not too worried about the defense or the or, or, or the fact that she has low attacks and can get overwhelmed because if you back her up correctly, she she can be really frustrating to pin down and deal with. You can still buy a turn of that heroic defense if you need to. So that's really handy. She's got a bit of everything. She can't do everything, but what she can do is really dynamic. Yeah, and worth pointing out as well that she is a hero of fortitude, not a minor hero. So point for point, she's the best at getting extra troops uh, into the list in the whole army, I believe. Yes, she is. And I, I recommend looking to start a Rivendell army list. After you choose your big bad elven lord, your next point of call should be an Arwen for 60 points on horse on horse and foot. Because that model is beautiful, by the way. Like, that her horse model and foot model from that blister. Oh, one of my favorite models to paint. Just the new one. The old one with Frodo's not very nice. The yeah, new no, no, one no, is no, really good. But the one with, like, the nice good and the little, like, rufflets on, on her, the end of her sleeves and... The, the, the gorgeous horse with the extra like stag oh it's 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 a beautiful model it's such a fun model to paint too I've, i think i've seen it used for like uh golden demon and stuff like that as well and like do very well so yeah it's obviously a beautiful sculpt yeah it's a really good model it is pr yeah definitely one of the best in the range and that's a nice segue because the next models we have are possibly some of the worst in the range <laughs> We've got Aladan and Alro here, who originally came out in their pajamas in terrible poses that aren't actually anatomically possible, really bad sculpts. And then we got excited because the monkey twins, as they were fondly known, were getting a redo. They were going to be updated. They were going to get really good. But unfortunately, the brief was you need to make sure their limbs are in positions they wouldn't actually be in and make them look as weird as possible. So the sculptor's come out and he's made some brilliant armor. The armor looks lovely. It's a great choice. It's got a bit of a Glorfindel vibe to it. They've got nice elven weapons that match the rest of the range. They look okay on a horse. And then they've got the foot version and they've said, I'm going to make an homage to the impossible monkey twins pajamas on foot. And they've got one sort of squatting, like he's, he's maybe potentially going to the toilet and he's just been surprised by a barrow ride or something saying boo. And you've got the other one, like, twisting his arms in an interesting position saying, I'm going to do a strike, but instead of striking you, I'm going to run my fingers down my elven blade, which will win on a three plus instead of a thing, and try and chop my own fingers off. It's, it's a concern that I have, and I, I wish these guys would be updated. They won't be, but they, they're, they're, they're close, but so far. He's actually holding his sword by the blade. <laughs> like, he actually is doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we... Give me a oh, we've broken Kylie again. <laughs> oh no, that's what did it, the monkey twins. <laughs> but yeah, totally agreed. I, I have the two original ones painted up and like, yeah, they were about as uh, not fun to paint as Aerosol was to paint, so. Yeah. <sighs> okay. okay, I'm good. We're I'm back? Good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm serious now. But like a lot of the, the actually uh, not-so-good sculpts in the range, they have fantastic rules. So these two have been a favorite. You see them a lot. You get to be reminded of their, their monkiness all the time. So they come as a pair. They're in the same warband. They're hero fortitude, but they can only be in one warband. They have a very good elf hero profile with a fight six, the move six, the strength four, defense five, which you'll probably upgrade. Two attacks, two wounds, courage six. 
uh, three might, two will, two fate, which is a bargain when you put the two together. They've got armor and two swords each, even though you can't really see them that often. Uh, they've got heroic strikes, so they've maintained probably the best heroic action or the one that you get the most use out of. So these guys can go hunting if they feel like it. They've got heaps of options, but they have to be identical. So you can give them horses, you can give them bows, you can give them cloaks, you can give them armor. You probably either go the cloaks or heavy armor, horse, and then the bows can go on either of those if you want to put them on the model. They're a good choice. Woodland creature, like the elves, that's fine. They get to choose with the elven blades to fight with uh, one of three ways. Fight using a single sword as a two-handed sword. Fight with both swords for one plus attack. Or parry as shielding. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this to you two at the moment. I almost exclusively use the three attacks at normal level. Kylie, is that what you do as well? Um, most of the time, although occasionally I will use the two-handed variant when I've got both of them into a scary thing. Uh, I think the most notable I can have is when I went heads up against a Gimli once. And I went one twin, went in with three attacks, um, uh, fainting, and the other twin went in a uh, two-handed weapon. And the twin with two-handed weapon was the one that I was relying on to kill Gimli, and the extra other twin was there to win the fight. So it can be handy to go two-handed sometimes, and uh, shielding is always good. If you're if you're hopelessly outnumbered and just need to win the fight, or if you yeah, just want the I'm game not... to go longer as well, yeah. But it, the shielding's only one plus attack in this one, so I don't see that one as being a great option. It's, it's yeah, I, I, it was I double think, attacks. Yeah, I think you Jeremy, only really I... want to use it when you don't want to kill something. I yeah. think that like... and Matt stole my point. Thanks, yeah. Matt. Yeah, appreciate it. No worries, no worries. That's what I'm here for. Um, I just wanted to add also that uh, I've probably used it maybe twice. And it would have been against big things where I was already a significant chance of winning the fight. So, for instance, um, I think I double-handed with both twins against a dragon once because Bjorn was also in the fight. And probably against a Moomark once or twice. So, yeah, those are the only times you really use it, I think. Fair enough. The other rule they have, which makes them quite interesting, is the unbreakable bond. If one gets killed, the other one increases their strength by one decreases their defense by one, and then pass all courage tests, but they have to try and charge the model that killed the brother as quickly as possible. So this is advantage to your opponent, quite frankly. Once that model's killed, uh, they just keep killing models. They just charge models, charging, kill, they go berserk. But, oh, and, and initially, if the model that killed the brother is a hero, the first time the surviving brother is in combat with the brother's killer, they must declare a heroic challenge, which you don't actually have in the profile targeting the hero without spending might. So this is the one time you do a heroic challenge. This may be done even if the hero is of a ho lower heroic tier. So basically what it means is if one of them gets killed, the other one just runs around the battlefield chasing an infantry model, a hero model, someone, and gets way out of position. Yeah, I've had that used against me once and it probably cost me the game. So yeah, definitely a negative. Um, the heroic challenge thing is interesting though like more often than not it will be a hero that kills one of the twins if either of them get killed so yeah that's a pretty interesting little addition i don't imagine it would have all that much effect on the game though uh you'd probably just deny that challenge key point in the fact that he must declare a heroic challenge is the fact that he won't be able to strike the first turn he goes into that scary hero that kill his twin so if you had something like say a dragon or uh 
uh, a um, uh, troll chieftain or a bog who won combat and killed one of the twins and the other twin charges him, you have a brief window of opportunity to just absolutely beat down on that twin because that twin can't strike up and beat your big scary monster or big scary hero whilst your hero just goes, well, you challenged me and you're at lower fight. Have fun with that. And then probably knock them, take him off the board. I find you're probably out of might by that point anyway, to be honest, because you've got to call heroic moves, right? Because of the rule. Or heroic marches, even, yes. I guess, if they're far enough away. So, uh, don't have I'm oh, sorry, yeah, you don't have march, so that doesn't matter. But yeah, you do have to call heroic moves because you have to get there as quickly as possible. So I think, yeah, a lot of the time you're probably out of might anyway. But no, that's a really great point, that first turn. Uh, wait, no, hang on. It, the first turn, if you call the challenge and they accept, which, yes, you would absolutely never do, then they would be one-on-one. -on -one. But yeah, you're right. You would just deny it, you'd throw everything in, you'd strike up, you'd kill him. Yeah. No, but you would accept the challenge, though, in some cases, because you can still trap the trap that hero. You can still trap the twin if, like, if you go the twin forward and trap and force the twin to engage, say, Bolg, and then you throw a whole bunch of orcs in behind, not charging because you you know you're going to accept the challenge and boxing him in and trapping him. I would put good money on a Bolg with a banner ray roll to beat a twin in combat um, and then promptly kill him and get him might back. Ooh, not just a might, D3. Yeah. yeah, like I said, like the the unbreakable bond rule is there for a reason because the twins are really are that good. Like you, you you're paying 160 points for six points of might. That is damn good value. That's borrowing me a level value, and you know you have to really kind of think about how unbreakable bond is going to be going to be playing out in your games. Simply for the fact that you know if they get if if you're if you're up against a smart opponent, they will use unbreakable bond against you, and they will kill one of your twins. Great point. Uh, I think probably in in the last edition of the rules, the twins were probably that really top tier pick, the one that you went like, "Damn, they're so good. Why wouldn't I take them in a in a high off list?" Whereas now I feel like they, they've remained relatively the same, and so many of the other elf heroes have got buffs. Like, pretty much every other elf hero has improved in some way, shape, or form. That they're, uh, they're definitely not as much of an auto-include as they were before. And I, and I think um, that's a testament to just how good some of the new elf heroes have gotten. Like, really, when you're looking at it, once you've got the, the twins on horse with heavy armor, you've stuck elven bows and cloaks on them, you're looking at roughly the same points as an Elrond or a Glorfindel or a Gilgalad, and... You kind of really do have to kind of sit back and think, do I want the twins or do I want this High Elven Lord with, you know, Lord of the West and all the other amazing special rules that the big three Elfin heroes now have? Yep, for sure. So we, we talked about how frustrating um, Unbreakable Bond can be uh, to play against, uh, to play with and how useful it can be to play against. One really, really simple way for new players who are picking up the twins and running them in their list to get around this problem is simply making sure you keep the twins together. I'm talking like within one or two inches of each other at all times. For the fact that if one of the twins dies, the other twin is going to be relatively close to the model that killed their twin. And then, and as such, are able to charge into that model as quickly, like almost immediately, and be able to get rid of the negative effects of being forced to chase around the model across the table the entire game. And 
yeah, they actually work really well together because you can just, you know, use heroic combats to bail each other out. You got six points of might in one spot to keep really putting pressure on. And yeah, generally when I run the twins, I run them together and don't ever have to worry too much about Unbreakable Bond. Yep, great point. Great point. I, I definitely like, like running the twins even just right next to each other and they're just a, a two-inch block that your opponent can't get through. Really nice. Uh, so let's move right along to the next hero that we have here. Lindir of Rivendell. Take it away, Jeremy. Yeah, this is a, a fellow that came about in The Hobbit. He was in The Lord of the Rings, but he wasn't really a big part, and people people liked the part, so he finally got a model. He's only got the single model with the, the pajamas on, but I've seen a lot of people convert up a Rivendell Knight to be Lindil for basically one rule, which we'll get to very soon. He's a cheap hero with 65 points, hero fortitude, so good value. He's got fight five, which is pretty low for an elf hero, but still high for everything else in the game. Strength four, defense four, once again, not too high. Attacks one, not too high. Wounds two, that's okay. Courage six, pretty good. One might, three will, one fate. So he's got that mini spellcaster profile. He's got an elven made sword. It's not a hand-and-a-half sword, so it's just an elven-made sword for this guy. He's got heavy armor option for 10 points, which is a good option. A horse for 10 points, which is a good option. He's a woodland creature, but now is the part that you want him for. First of all, he's got a song to Albereth, which is an active special rule where all friendly Rimdale models within six inches of Lindia gain resistance to magic. That is pretty good. Resistance to magic is good. It means that people can't just, like knock your elves off their horses pretty easily and it means that you can uh, keep the resistant to any nature's wrath that are coming against you any transfixes any uh, sorceress blasts it's a nice special rule to have and plonk him in the middle of the army magic isn't too big a deal but even better is wise counsel the passive rule if he's within six inches of alrond then alrond may expend a single point of will each turn without reducing his own store even if he has none remaining. So this means that the Alrond Renew suddenly becomes a game-long ability. The Nature's Wrath, every turn that, that Lindil's nearby, he can go for that. It gives you so much options that you often see these two together. And as an opponent, if you see Lindil and Alrond, it's usually the game of go kill Lindil as soon as possible just to reduce Alrond's ability. Yeah, Wrath of Bruinen's every single turn. Ouch. Very, very painful. <laughs> And that's why you take him. I think that that's definitely the main reason you're going to run him with Elrond. Yeah, would we take him without Elrond, Kylie? Uh, so probably not. Um, the Wise Council special is just it. It's just too good to to not have him alongside Elrond. I mean, yes, the Resistant of Magic is very, very potent and powerful, and you probably could do some funky. Um, you know, allying him into list give other models resistance to magic, but yeah, I, I, I see Lindir as a bolt-on Alrond upgrade rather than his own hero upgrade, and you know, he's useful 65 point for an extra 12 infantry models in your army, he can be very useful, um, but other than, other than the you know, Alrond special role, he's, he doesn't really have a lot to write home about. I agree with that. I think, uh, you probably wouldn't put him in a strange ally list either, though, because it's just Rivendell models to get the resistance to magic. So he's not one that you're probably allying in to help out hobbits or anything like that. So I think, he, yeah, you're right. He's a 
He's a friend of Elrond. He's he loves the Rivendell Knight list where you get lots of movement. So he he's often converted up as a Rivendell Knight, and he he's a good model, but he's a captain level model at a captain level price that is not too hard to t- take out for an elf hero. So I tend to make it my business to go and target him early on if I can because he's yeah. If Elrond gets to wind up and do a spell every turn, it makes a mess of you. Yeah, totally agreed. Um. Yeah, I think that's all there is to say about Lindir. He, he's really nice in that uh, Rivendell Knight list, as you mentioned. Yeah, that's pretty much it. An add-on to Elrond. So, let's get right on to another hero that I know Kylie's been running a lot. Uh, Kylie, tell us all about Kyrdan. Kyrdan the Shipwright. 80 points of pure awesome. That is right. Kyrdan is back, baby, and he is better than ever. So his stat line's pretty mediocre. He's move six, fight five with a shoot of three plus. He's strength four, defense four with one attack, two wounds, encourage six. His might is one, will is four, and fate is one. And on top of that, he's unarmed and his heroic actions are channeling and resolve. Now, at this point, you're thinking, that doesn't sound very good, Kylie. That sounds pretty garbage. And then I'm like, I haven't told you his special rules yet. For starters, Kidan has resistance to magic, which is freaking amazing when you take into consideration that all of his spells are buff spells. They're all exhaustion, you know, buffing up your army, giving them like little, lots of little advantages. So having an extra resistance to magic in there to just, you know, throw up one dice to try and even when you have one will point is amazing, is amazing. On top of that, you also have Terra Mudrum Creature, which, you know, every High Elven Lord has. But the best special he has is the shipwright's power. Kidan may spend a single point of will each turn without reducing his own will store. That's right, he's been taking lessons from Galadriel and is now a monster spellcaster. His magical powers are Aura of Command on a 2+, Blinding Light on a 2+, Aura of Dismay on a 5+, and Enchanted Blades on a 4+, at range 6. This guy is insane. He is like one of the best buff heroes in the game. I would actually even take it one step further and say he is the best buff hero in the game. He is that good. Yeah, not a lot, not a lot of combat though with him, is there? He can't really charge and do any damage, can he? <laughs> no, he definitely no. can't. He- He's got one job, and that's to sit in the middle of your army with as many elves around him as possible because he is target number one. If you see him on the board and you get an opportunity to knock this guy down and you, you see you see a banner, you see Kiden, banner, Kiden. I'm going all out on Kiden because this guy is a game winner. He is so good now. Um, and I always, always wanted the mo- – like I like the model, but I have one problem with him. Where's his beard? He doesn't have a beard, but I forgive it now because his spells are so good. He can be beardless in that spellcaster. He's fine. That's why his face looks so disappointed. He doesn't have a beard. Oh, I was going to mention that. That's that's his greatest special rule. His godlike levels of disappointment. He's just constantly, he's constantly remembering the way that the world was. And it's just not good enough anymore. <laughs> he really is uh, the ultimate ultimate support hero, though, isn't he? Yeah, like, I, he, I, I, like to, I like to think that he looks at, across the battlefield at, at, at your opponent's army and goes... Ugh, that's your army. I hate what you've done with it. And just kind of <laughs> twandles off and, you know, starts raising his hands in the air and 
starts making all these elves cause terror and not care about courage and, you know, shine so brightly that arrows just seem to bounce off him. He, he is a fantastic hero now as as just a backline buff hero. It, he's it's that good. He, his spells are really are that good. You're right. He, he just looks across the battlefield. He sees their glittering armor in the sun. He says, yeah, I've seen better. <laughs> <laughs> really, really like the Aura of Dismay. And this one used to be really tough to get off because you didn't have the one wheel of turn. I would be tempted. I know the Blinding Light is such a good call at the start, but Aura of Dismay is such a powerful spell. Having elves causing terror, just your generic elves, is such a boon that that's the one I want. I want to cast that, and then once that's up and going, then it's all the other ones. So, like, let's let's just not look at Unshared Blaze for a moment. I'm going to get into why that spell is so amazing in a sec. But Aura of Command, Blinding Light, and Aura of Dismay. I, I've been playing with Kinan a bit lately, and I have yet to enter into a game where I haven't needed one of those three spells. And I think that's... I think that can kind of show you like how how potent his abilities are because okay you might come up against an army with no shooting and uh, has a lot of bodyguard but they might be causing terror or something like that and you can just chuck up an aura command or you might be up against a full elf shooting army and go blinding light you're doing nothing to me now or you might hit an orc force with shamans so you might hit an orc force and you just go or of dismay you just you throw that up and suddenly the the orcs aren't charging you as easily he's He's always got something that he can do to provide to an army. And even if he's got all of his spells up, he can still be really, really annoying because he has enchanted blades. And kind of one of the things that high elf armies in particular have always struggled with is the fact that they don't have any strength for troops. They they have a bit of a problem, you know, cracking high defense armies. But you chuck an enchanted blades in there, you can even just like one one dice mana kind of enchanted blades on just a random elf can drastically help your killing power in 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 a line not to mention the fact that throwing enchanted blades on a big elven hero oh he's 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 that good i love him so much yeah like our massive elven heroes needed more buffs you add kirdan in there and they are killing everything you just need one turn of a, a channeled uh, enchanted blades and something's going down if, if, if you ever have the privilege to see Kidan buffing up a, uh, a Gilgalad with Enchanted Blades, you are going to see destruction on a level Middle-earth has not seen since the Silmarillis. <laughs> that is how powerful yeah. and potent that combination is. Yeah. Which Kidan remembers, mind you, and he's very, very disappointed powerful. about it. Very disappointed. <laughs> yeah. All right. He's okay. resolute. Resolute. That's a heroic resolve. That's the look at when you do a heroic resolve. You put that face on. It's not disappointing. It's a resolved face. Yeah, he's just not putting up with anything today. I still, <laughs> I no, still, no, no. I still think Kiran is disappoint. Kiran is disappoint, and forever will be disappoint. All right, enough about Kiran. On to another Elven hero, Gildor in Glorian. This will be our last named hero. Uh, he is an elf infantry hero, no Rivendell keyword, which is uh, kind of important for a couple of little things. I think uh, the resistant to magic from Lindia doesn't affect him, and I think the uh, army bonus, I think you have to be a Rivendell model. Anyway, uh, he doesn't have a shooting weapon anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, yes, he is 70 points. He's got move 
eight. And that's the thing that maybe uh, some people might not see immediately. Although, you know, over time it's become what he's been known for. But I think he's had that move eight since uh, early last edition or was it the previous edition? He's had it for a little while. Uh, it was during the introduction of Warbands is when he picked up the move yeah, eight. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I, th I thought, lovely, that's a really cool little buff. Uh, he's got a really unique too. Like there's not much in the game that moves at that speed. Uh, he is fight six, strength four, defense four, two attacks, two wounds, courage six, one might, four will, one fate. So another one of these sort of mini spellcaster type uh, level heroes, but with the extra attack as well. So he can do a little bit in combat. Uh, he has, like Lindia, an elven maid sword, not hand and a half, so no two-handed for him. And he comes with a free elven cloak. So nice. He can hide. That's good. Mm. Um, I would have really liked to see throwing daggers on him. I think that would have been really cool. But no, no throwing daggers, unfortunately. Uh, he has Channeling, Resolve, March. There you go. There's our first Heroic March of this episode. And Heroic Defense as well. So he's got one, only one might point, but a lot of options to use with it. And this is probably the best part about him. If your army includes Gildor Inglorian, you may include Wood Elf Warriors from the Lothlorien army list in his warband as if they were part of this army list. These Wood Elf Warriors must be upgraded to be Noldoran Exiles at the cost of one point per model. So I think that's nine points. I think that's right. Um, although you'll be giving them equipment for sure. Uh, and the Noldoran Exiles also have a move of eight. So suddenly you've got this speedy little warband. Yes, it's low defense, but it is an harassing warband. It does a lot of work, uh, I've seen. I know both of you have used Gildor with a warband like this. Is that right? Yes. 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 And uh, much like the rest of the Elven Lords, he has Terra and Woodland Creature and the Coup de Gras for Gildor, even though it got a little bit uh, nerfed, is he has Immobilize with a range of 12 inches cast on a 3+. So he just throws a few little Immobilizers out there as he runs around with his warband of throwing dagger wood elves and just ties up some models for a turn. And I think for 70 points, he is an absolute bargain. I really like Gildor. I really like that option of a, a speedy infantry warband that can make the most of your woodland creature. Because yes, you've got the cavalry, they can do that, but there's nothing more annoying than move eight models moving through the woods with Elven Cloak. It just can frustrate the opponent while they're flicking daggers at you. You can give some of them bows if you want. It's a I think it's a really powerful warband. If it ever gets caught unsupported, it's in a lot of trouble, but it's so fast that you shouldn't really let that happen. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I wouldn't say he's an absolute bargain anymore. I would say he's a very good value. I think the new addition hurt him a little bit, even though he did get a points buff going from 80 to 70. I think the fact that um, his one point, one point of might can't be used for strike anymore, his immobilize isn't as potent... Um, and the fact that a lot of other heroes got a lot more uh, nasty, and the fact that the heroes that he does synergize with, used to synergize with, such as um, Thranduil, Legolas, and Stormcrawlers, aren't what they used to be, and don't provide the same things to the army to their particular army list as they used to. And Gildor was like one of those kind of heroes that was really, really useful when you allied him into another list to get extra speed boost, in particular allying him into a Lothlorien list and going. I've got an extra immobilize. 
watch my Stormclaws start, you know, throwing down down some Nature's Wrath and Call Winds, and then you can use the fact that their will has been taken away from, you know, the other spells from, like, a Stormclaw, a Galadriel, or Thranduil, uh, and then start throwing in Transfixes on the top of Gildor. He was a really good kind of uh, bolt into an extra list to give you more versatility, and I, he still does that. He does everything he used to do before, but the fact that everything else got a little bit better kind of made his shine dull a little bit. That's not to say he's not good. I think he's still very, very good. But I think the fact that other things in the game have gotten better has, yeah, kind of hurt him a little bit. I, I still think he's just a really unique option in this list. And as, as, as you say, as an ally in many other different lists, even just in Lothlorien itself, you can just throw him in. They're green allies. They don't care. Um, yeah, and mm. I, I don't think... I, I don't know if you mentioned it, but Immobilize, I think you said, is, you know, not what it used to be. Yes, but I still think it's really handy. Like, there's still plenty of opportunities to use it uh, more as a defensive weapon than as an offensive one. Uh, so, mm. I, and with the Free Elven Cloaks, I, I think it's just a really cool little warband that you can throw into a Rivendell list and, you know, do a little, little bit different than what most Rivendell lists are, which is just that shield wall, that really tough shield wall. I agree. He's a very good uh, extra kind of um, uh, a tool in your toolbox or a little technical option that you can throw in your, your list. I don't particularly running like running him in, in Rivendell lists uh, with a lot of Noldorian exiles simply for the fact that um, when you start throwing a lot of defense 3 into your army with that has already kind of sitting at defense 5-6, it can really make you vulnerable where... Um, if they were just, you know, straight up tin cans, um, you'd be a lot more um, solid. I don't like kind of mixing too much of my baseline troops in there simply because you can, it can be easier to focus down. And I feel that allying in Gildor in this instance can be um, uh, very detrimental to that. I've ran Gildor with, you know, two other warbands of uh, high elves and was finding that, you know, my idea for Gildor wasn't... Um, kind of working out the way I wanted it to and, you know, a contingent of Rivendell Knights was kind of what I wanted Gildor to do or um, running an extra block of uh, tin cans would have been much better than having the Noldorian Exiles in there. Yep, fair enough, fair enough. Um, on to our last hero in the list. Sorry, second last hero in the list. Second. So we've got two generic heroes to finish off with. Uh, starting off, we have the High Elf Captain who... Honestly, I, I'm just going to say I don't think he has changed at all. He's got that heroic march, which uh, most captains, or I think all captains do now. And he's a great points. Like, he, he's one of those captains where you just go, he, yeah, he's as good as a lot of named heroes in other lists. And definitely worth taking. Um, I, I don't think we need to linger too long on him, though. He's got that fight six. He's got the elven made hand and a half sword, heavy armor. You can give him a shield, which is great. You can chuck him on a horse with a lance, throw an elf bow on him. He does all the cool captain-y things that you want. He's got the expert rider and woodland creature, elven, uh, moving through terrain, all good. Picking up the artifact in whichever scenario that is without dropping off. Yeah, really cool model. Um, I think probably I've used high elf captains more than any other captains in the game. You never feel bad about taking a high elf captain. Like, if you put one on your list, you're never thinking, is there something better? They just do their job. You know what they do. They do it well. Having fight six on a hero is really nice because you can put them one-on-one to any other hero. They're good. They're good. They're reliable. They're affordable. They lead troops. What more do you want? 
They are the lists march to. That's pretty much the most reliable way to get a march in your list, barring, uh, of course, uh, uh, Gildoy, which we just talked about. But yeah, I agree 100%. Elven Captains, I think every High Elf list should have at least one, because I think march is an integral part of the game, and you should always have at least one hero in your army that has march, and I think the High Elf Captain is the one you want. Yep, and finally, cool. finally we come to the High Elf Stormcaller at 60 points. Uh, unfortunately, like a lot of the minor spellcasters uh, in the game now, he is a minor hero, so can only lead six troops. Uh, he has armor, an elven made sword, and a staff, in case you wanted to... Um, what's, <laughs> what's the special strike? Stun. 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 He can still stun. Stun. Cool. Um, he can heroic channel, like all those minor spellcasters, woodland creature, and powers of nature. If when a casting test is made, the Stormcaller rolls a natural six on one or more dice, then the will points spent in casting are returned to the store of will that they already had. So yeah, uh, natural sixes come back to them, which is a rule that they had previously. Um, their two spells, unfortunately, have remained the same. They have core wins, yep, cool, and strength and will, not so cool. Not all mm. that useful, honestly. Uh, yeah. Probably... <sighs> Well, I don't think we saw many high elf storm callers before, and I don't see much reason for that to change. Yeah, I, I, out of all the models that have been changed in the game, the high elf storm caller is the one that I am most disappointed in. I absolutely kind of love the idea for the the high elf storm caller and the um, Lothorian storm caller as well, the Gladrum storm caller. But the fact that the the kind of staple spell, which was Core Winds at range twelve, was casting on a two plus. The fact that they've now moved that to a 3+, plus really, really, really hurts them. It was kind of like their one redeeming feature that they had was the core wins and being able to push it back. And the fact that not only did the spell itself get nerfed in terms of how far it can push a model back, but nerfed in terms of how much uh, you need to roll to cast it was just a huge blow to them to the point where it took, basically takes them out of the game. And strength and will, I can see the idea, you know, strength and will on Arwen, roll a six and you get all your will points back but when you know you actually get into the game strength and will it doesn't pan out like that i would have absolutely loved to have seen something like a transfix there instead it would have given them a niche kind of really useful role um on the same par as like an arwen or a barawite or a shaman but the fact that they gave them strength and will was it, it just hurt them so much yeah, and it's extra unfortunate when, uh, I mean, we're not going to talk about it now, but the Galadrim Stormcaller changed a little bit and actually got a very different, as you say, niche. Uh, we'll talk about that in a different episode. But yeah, they definitely could have done something a little bit different. Strength and will, eh. Just yeah, meh. I mean, if, if you're going to make their, their spells harder to cast, give them an extra will point, put them up to four will so that they actually can reliably get their spells off enough in a game to be useful because i feel it feels like the powers of nature they're expecting it to go off more often than it can than it will because you know natural six off three dice that's not going to happen as often as you think it's going to happen and when they don't get it they're pretty much useless when they do get it even with the spells now that they're not doing a hell of a lot Odds are, like, you're not going to get it more than once per game anyway. It's not something you can sort of build around at all. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I love the, the core wind spell um, before when it was pushed back a model 2d6 inches because you could you could potentially go, bang, core wills, you're taking out 
you're taken out of the game for two to three turns. But now that it's one D six, it's like, all right, I deny you your your big hero for a single turn, and the fact there's on a three plus can can really hurt. Yeah. I would definitely take this model if it had six wheelbase. Yes. That's all. Yep. Agreed. Less than that, rubbish. Yep. Totally. Oh, well. Unfortunate. You can't win them I think all, I suppose. They've stuffed it up. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's a oh, spellcaster well. with not enough will. Mm. Um, all right. Let's, let's yeah, finish this one off. We've got only two troop types in Rivendell, and that is all you need. You've got the warriors, uh, yes, warriors of Rivendell, who are. Yeah, haven't really changed. They got one little buff, which actually is very, very nice. They come with the Elven Maid Hand and a Half Sword for free now. They're the same points. They get that sword for free. It no longer costs one point. Amazing. Two-handed everywhere. Winning drawn fights everywhere. Yeah, really great little buff. But that's the only change to the High Elves. They always have a Warhorn. Um, I don't think it was 30 points. No, I, I think that's right. I, I, maybe not. How often are you taking um, a Warhorn with them, though, really? Not. I know it was 30 points for the, um, uh, what's I'm going to call it, the, uh, the, the cavalry, but I'm not sure if it was for the, uh, you know, the, um, piles. Man, I, I cannot yeah. their name today. Yeah. Can I ask you both a question? Yes, please do. Have you ever taken a Warhorn with a High Elf army? I'm not a big fan of Warhorns anyway. I usually don't bother with them, so I would not bother with them. If I've got a spare 30 points, I'm buying another banner. Yep, 100%. Any, uh, any disagreement, Kylie? I would... If you're really... If you if you kind of know that there's going to be a lot of um, courage tests and terror shenanigans in a tournament you're going to or something, I would maybe think about throwing a Warhorn in if it's a big points, but there are better and more... Yeah, I'd, I'm with Jeremy. I, I'd prefer the extra the extra banner. I, I guess if it's like a thousand point game or something like that, maybe throw in a Warhorn because it's it's, it's kind of useful to go up to Courage 6, but it's not, it's not needed. And because of how expensive everything else is, you don't want to kind of throw away 60... Uh, 30 points for nothing. Yeah, I'll, I'll straight up say I've never even considered a Warhorn for High Elves, even though I've had plenty of games where I failed lots of courage tests. Uh, anyway, last profile, and the only other Warrior profile, the Rivendell Knights, which have had a sort of minor fall from grace. Uh, their profile remains the same. Uh, they still have all of the equipment. They come with heavy armor, lance, elven made hand and a half sword, elf bow, and horse. So they're octopuses, apparently. Octopi. Octo... Octo piece, octo something. Octo elves. <laughs> octo elves, yes. And they also have the option for Warhorn, which no one ever takes. Uh, you can throw a banner on them, which is a pretty cool option. And you can throw shields on them, which a lot of people definitely do, because Defense 6 is fantastic. Did you say that these models have got worse? Uh, no, not really. I, I think. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. The slight change that they have is that they no longer automatically uh, don't count towards bow limit. So before you could just Makes take yeah, no. yeah, before you could just take the Elrond's household list, uh, and you could just get them all with bows and no issues whatsoever, you can still do a list like that, sort of. You can get eighteen of them that don't count. Uh, but yeah, it which uh, I guess really is probably as many as you're gonna get. So it's it's not much of a loss. 
honestly, it's a slap on the wrist. The fact that they can be taken in the in the list normally now with cross is is a boon to them more than the the losing the hundred percent bow rule. Yeah, they're a great yeah, cavalry they're... model. Yeah, I'd also like to quickly take one moment to kind of mention the fact that every single model in um or the infantry now have elven made hand and a half weapons and why that is so damn important in I the rivendell list definitely already mentioned that but go on tell us more about it all right well i don't think you really touched on oh, yeah, why no. it's so good get into it because if, if you don't have rivendell knights in your list and you don't have the lance and the ability to kind of crack through high armor you kind of one of the defining features of an like an old high elf player was their ability to know when to use two-handed weapons and protect their models with two-handed weapons for when they needed them in combat. The fact that now every single model in the high elf list can go, I'm just going to go two-handed fainting, can help you crack through armies that you wouldn't normally be able to crack through. I had a game last week against a dwarf army, um, just in a little kind of um, league thing that we have going on. And the fact that, you know, when I was going into um, Vault Warden teams, even Khazad Guard and was able to go, I'm three on one here, and I really need to kill this dwarf. And go, that guy's going to go two-handed fading, and the other two are going to strike normally, and throw two dice at fives to wound. And I can do that with any one of my models. Is incredibly useful. It means that you're no longer having to, you know, fork out the points for one to give your models uh, the Elven Blade. So you're actually kind of saving, you know, 10 to 15 points there. But two, you don't have to worry about where your two-handed weapons are in your list because everyone has one. And just that extra tiny bit of flexibility increased the damage output of a high elf army, I think, by 50%. Like, it, probably even more. Probably close to doubling their, their ability to actually deal damage in combat. Yeah, for sure. It, it, much like my beloved Glaives... They, uh, that flexibility is incredible, and I've already made great use of it. I love it. Um, on the topic of uh, sets that would sell really well, a uh, high elf plastic set with shields and shield spears would would absolutely go bananas. Like, people would clamor for that, I would imagine. Uh, and also maybe an option for bows, so like some kind of uh, modular... Uh, option to go shield spear bow whatever you want uh i i i have a hunch a feeling a spidey sense if you will <laughs> or a, or a, or a oh, no, don't do it i'm gonna call it here folks i think that games workshop is going to do a last alliance supplement and in this last alliance supplement we are going to get plastic high elf warriors and plastic warriors of numenor yeah. As in, Kyle, all of the old metals are going to become plastic. I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. <laughs> One plastic hero. <laughs> One plastic. An Arion, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's all it. you get. That's it. No, yeah. no, we'll get him. We'll get him from Firecast. We'll get like a, an, a Lendil or something like that. We'll get one of them, maybe Gilgalad, but just one one set. It'll be someone from the movie, and they're just going to say, no, we've got the elves. They're fine. 2001 I, sculpt, all good. I think it will be really interesting to see what ends up happening with the Amazon series. Because we know that's coming. And we, I think it's been announced that it's going to be Second Age. 
Uh, yeah, one of our friends, Tim, um, has been talking to me very enthusiastically about um, the two, the two, um, the Amazon series in the second, and like what kind of age it's in. And he seems to think that it's going to involve Numenor, uh, the making of the ring, and the entire series uh, leading up to the Last Alliance and the Battle for the Black Gate and the eventual downfall. Mm. I'm going to go out on a limb as well, and I'm going to say it's going to be something unrelated. It's going to be one of those kings that's mentioned uh, as part of Numenor, and I don't even think they're going to get to the Last Alliance. I think we might even get different kinds of armor as well. It might be totally different look. Yeah, could be, could be. It'll be interesting to see at least uh, whether Games Workshop actually do anything with that. Or any anyway, you know, it's all speculation at this yeah. point. But uh, yeah, would would be amazing or, to see a plastic high offset one day. Or doing this, Matt. Can we just touch on the army bonus because we tend to forget these or or hide them away? And I think this one's worth discussing a little bit because I think yeah. we've got some differing opinions on it. Well, yeah, so you've got the I, army I bonus. I think it's actually pretty forgettable, to be fair. But yes, go on. Yeah. Gardo Hade Lethio Ilfilin. Um, whilst within six inches of the army's leader, friendly Rivendell models may reroll failed to hit rolls when making shooting attacks in a turn where they did not move. Now, I don't like this because I like to move. Yes, I also like moving models. I like playing the game. I don't mind it for one reason. Because the army bonus is so forgettable and so no one cares about it kind of frees you up to pretty much go all right my isn't that great i don't care if i ally and <laughs> rivendell has a lot of yellow a lot of yellow allies so you kind of get this kind of um interaction where if you kind of want to ally with rivendell you kind of are encouraged to because you don't care if you lose your 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 rerolls to hit if you don't move kind of deal so I personally don't mind it. I would have liked something more creative um, than what they've got, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers. So you're what saying... What a combat one? Yeah, oh, something to give them, like, uh, some extra hitting, maybe? I don't know. I, maybe that would be too much, but I, I think I'd love cool. it that your, like, positive out of this army bonus is that it's so bad you're just going to ally. <laughs> That's great. I don't think it's bad. I just think it's forgettable. And it just, like, if you're going to use it, you're already in a good spot. So if you're sitting at a wall 24 inches away, your shooting's probably doing okay. It discourages you from repositioning your, your knights around. It's it's not, well, it's a big range. Six inches is a big range. But once again, it encourages you to set up together. It It's it's a bonus that's okay, but it's not, like, compared to some of the other special rules, like a Minas Tirith special rule or something like that, it's just... Not a, not as valuable, I mean, not as appealing. I mean, I get where they got the idea for the Amulet from, from that scene in the movie where they're charging at the, the set-up Rivendell line, but if they wanted to kind of represent, uh, you know, the, 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 the stoic, static elf line where they, you know, down, like, just crush the elf, uh, the, the orcs charging them, they could have come up with something more interesting, like maybe shield wall for a single turn, a one-use-only kind of deal, or... Maybe even having uh, something where any model base contact with them counts as having a spear. I don't know. They, they, they there was more there that could have been like could have made a really cool, interesting rule, and 
could have been more fun to play around, but they just kind of went, nah, and just dropped the ball. I, I think it would have been interesting to do something that represented um, when when the orcs first charge in and they all just swing the blades down and just cut them down, yeah. like, like reaping wheat. Uh, where, like, just as an example, um, something like Shield Wall, where instead of getting plus one defense, uh, you, like, when you go two-handed on a six, it, on a natural six, it still counts as a six. Something like that, like the broadsword rule. Mm. But, like, with Shield Wall well, as well. But maybe, so, maybe... Yeah. Yeah, maybe for one turn or something like that. But yeah, just something interesting. And I think combat would have been nicer because, like, shooting elves already do shooting. I think combat would have made it more interesting. Yeah. What yeah. could have? What, what I think could have been really cool is if um if a Rivendell model is base contact with three other models with the Rivendell keyword, they can reroll ones when making shooting attacks or when rolling uh ones in the dual roll or something like that. That way you kind of get that bit of shooting thing, but you also kind of get this really cool thing where they're, you know, getting a bit of extra combat bit potential out of their out of their strikes, but they need to make sure they're in kind of this good formation to get it. And I reckon that's what I kind of like about the special rules. Um, some of the really kind of interesting special rules where it re it rewards you to play in a different style. And, like, for instance, I absolutely love the fact that Corsairs get the Backstabbers special rule, not because it's pow a very powerful special rule, but because it changes the way uh, you play Corsairs because you're encouraged to go for traps to get that bonus, whereas this one you're, you're not really encouraged to play in an interesting manner, like kind of like what Matt said earlier. Okay, well that was a, that was epic. Yes, uh, gosh, I love elves. They're my favorite army that I've mm. actually painted myself. So uh, this was really cool to go through these models and maybe and learn a couple of things actually that I wasn't yeah. aware of. So might have to paint up I a few different heroes. Yeah, I do have one quick question, a quick side along question that I might may or may not have been mentioned at the start of this cast. Did we ever talk about the fact that Bilbo Baggins is in this army list? We didn't. Cool side point. Bilbo Baggins is this, uh, is in this army list and can can be taken as an independent hero. Huh. There you go. It, what other army is he in? Shire. He's in Shire. I think we yeah, might cover Shire, him. I think we might cover him when we get to the Shire. But yes, that's cool. You can take him in this yeah. list. Yeah. But that's this is kind of cool because you can do some like like funky like ring shenanigans with him where you can have like the ring and then like charge in and then have a restor go in and back him up and watch a restor get to fight infinite because he's fight six with a ring bearer in combat with him yeah yeah true nice you know true. just just kind of little things that just as people might not have realized he's also an independent hero so you can keep him in other heroes warbands you know Brilliant. there you go i'm switch. still learning things we finished the the section and i'm already <laughs> still learning things yeah we're done we're done <laughs> okay surprise bonuses on to the next segment And onto some tactics without keep it secret. Jeremy, how would you use your high elves? 
the High Elves have always been and still are an army that you prioritize having a few cheeky turns of shooting to disrupt the enemy, to kill some priority targets, to really annoy them. And while you're doing that, you're trying to draw them into you out of formation. You want them to eventually give up, go and attack you, and then you surprise them with your combat ability, your combat heroes, your combat elves, and rip them apart in a couple turns of combat. But you always use that little bit of shooting just to soften them up and frustrate, which means you're not afraid to move backwards. You're not afraid to move sideways. You're not afraid to move forwards and then backwards or backwards and then forwards just to start stuffing up the opponent. So my Rivendell tactic, it's a, it's a combined arms force. You do a bit of shooting, maybe a bit of cavalry, a bit of combat, and then finally you let your heroes chop off the other heroes' heads and away you go. Ali, what do you think? Well, I'm, I'm on a similar vein. I kind of, I kind of see Rivendell in kind of like uh, two or three shades. You got your, your, your standard infantry block of um, just no cav, just straight up defense six, um, high elf spear shield, and basically approaching the game of I do everything that you can do, or rather, I can do everything in the game above average. And that's what I kind of think of when I think of the Rivendell list of, I do everything above average. And to kind of make high elves work, I feel like you need to be playing playing them, uh, playing every part of the game. You need to be contesting objectives, you need to be shooting, you need to be leveraging terrain. You need, you need it, It's an army that rewards well uh, thought out and well planned out strategy and they kind of can do everything kind of really well like they're not weak in any one area therefore they're kind of um they don't have uh, an exploitable weakness unless you you as an opponent or a player go make a weakness in their list and that's kind of what i really like about the rivendell list is their their flexibility and once you add in kind of rivendell knights and you can start you know messing around with some hammer and anvil tactics or if you go pure rivendell knights you can do your standard rohan runaway and shoot tactics but what i absolutely love about rivendell is their flexibility and the choices of the heroes you can put in the list just adds to that flexibility i i think when i first started using rivendell i was always so concerned because i just didn't feel like i had enough models but over time you you begin to realize that one elf is worth so much more than almost any other infantry in the game when you put them in a small space and you use them cautiously and you use them confidently it's so hard to break through an elven shield wall and i've come to love them probably as my favorite infantry army yeah and i think i think on on what you just said there too um matt positioning is a huge part of the rivendell um kind of play style and army style as well and i guess now that's also probably going to apply to lothlorien too now that i think about it they they reward players that position well if you have your heroes in the right spot at every moment in the game you are seldom going to lose games if you're constantly you know pressuring objectives and making sure you're not getting trapped and surrounded and irking out little advantages they reward you and that, that's that's the beautiful thing about this army is they reward you when you create little advantages. If you even get like small things like knocking out a horse on a particular hero or getting little micro traps in parts of, of your opponent's army, they will reward you for it because that's the kind of army that they are. They're, they're very forgiving, but when you play them well and play them perfectly, they will um, exacerbate um, 
uh, and snowball a game to the point where it can get out of control. I like the micro traps actually. They are a micro trap army because you don't have a lot of them, and your your one weakness really is that you have to work for your kills. Now, there's lots of ways to do that with the hand and half weapons and the heroes and that, but if you just throw them shield wall to shield wall, you're probably not doing enough wounds. So you need those micro traps. You need to know when to use your two-handed weapon. You need to know when you need a lance to help out. You need to know when you need to insert Gilgalad or Glorfindel. And once you do that, it is really rewarding because they are reliable and they stick around for the whole game. So you're never really out of it. Even a few elves can go and make a comeback and win the game for you. Because of just their their really bulky stats, you know, high defense, high fight value, good shoot value, they always feel present in the game, even when you're losing. That's one of the things that I always love about Rivendell is I never feel like I will ever be out of a game or can lose control of a game or have an option to get back into a game because I always have something that I can use and leverage my advantage. Like, we've all... We've all been in situations where you've had like a hero charge on an elf and an elf just goes, shooting, I roll a six and just push you away. And there's your big kind of, you know, mid-range hero like a Gothmog or even just, you know, things like captains are just boxed out for a turn because, you know, you just went shield and push them back. Likewise, that turn where all the elf warriors, you, you think you've got the advantage and then five of them in a row just roll a five or a six and and win the combat, get a kill or two and you just go... How am I ever going to get through these guys? Elves with a banner behind them are so tough to move. They're just well and truly more than their sum of their parts, as Matt said before. Yeah, I think probably the majority of the absolutely like devastating victories that I've seen in Lord of the Rings have been victories to elves because you just have those games where they break you before you even get like more than a couple of kills. I, I played a game against Kylie a, a long time ago with my Easterlings, and she just ran rings around me, and I, I think almost wiped me out without losing more than two models, maybe. Might have even, like, just been Arwen's horse, and that was it. Oh, uh, yeah, no, no, it was, yeah, it was Arwen's horse and two elves in that game. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. like, and I'm just like, how did you just do that? And now that, you know, I've had a couple of games where I've been sort of a similar situation, yeah, oh, you can really push the advantage, as well as always being in the game uh, and and backing up defensively and doing all those things. So just in in any kind of situation, high elves are really useful. Um, just from a perspective of actually getting an advantage on them, uh, and this is just kind of just a generic tactic that I use every now and then if I am facing them. If I've got a mounted hero that can strike up, I will just charge two elves and strike up because if I can win that fight and knock out two elves, I feel like that's worth a might point almost every single time. And uh, for instance, heroes that I might do that with are Yazneg. I, almost every single game I've played elves with my Hunter Orcs, I just charge Yazneg in and strike up. I don't try and combat. I don't try and do anything tricky. I am just want to kill six elves before he goes down. Yeah, that's a good point. And my tactic against the elves is get moving as fast as you can, make a big circle, and try and split every combat to be one-on-one or two-on-one in your favor and just hope you can dice them off because you've got to flush them out of those little pockets. Um, while you're doing that, you've got to minimize the fights against the heroes as well. So it can be tricky to do because you've got to get there with enough guys alive. So you have to get there quick or behind terrain, and you have to force them to fight one-on-ones because then you've got a little bit... Only a little bit of advantage as an elf player instead of a huge advantage when you're fighting, say, um, 
a, a shield wall to shield wall with all the spears and banners behind it. Mm. I think I remember a long, long time ago, Jeremy, I remember um, uh, a piece of advice you gave me a long time ago, Jeremy, that was on a very similar vein to what you just said, was elves love multiple combats. Don't give them to them. Knock out their dice, Make get rid of their banners, and force them into one-on-ones, and you'll, you'll win the day. And I don't think there are more truer words that can be said against high elves. That does sound like something I would say, and does definitely sound so, like something that's true. You, you've got to do that. You've got to force them to roll the minimum dice possible, where their fight values are only a little bit of an advantage, and their strength comes to bite them back, and they can't use their two-handed weapons. And if you can do that, you can take them out. They're, they're not necessarily the easiest army to play, but they are definitely uh, a tactical army. They're definitely a rewarding army, and they look really nice, except for the monkey twins. Scenario Spotlight. Hunting Party. After being hounded by Azog's hunters across the plains and hills that make up the areas surrounding Rivendell, the company of Thor and Oakenshield, led there by Gandalf the Grey, has finally managed to escape, finding safety within the rocks that hide the entrance to the last homely house. Although Radagast the Brown has done his best to lead the ravenous wargs astray, some have still managed to catch the dwarf scent and discovered their whereabouts. I am doing Hunting Party from the Armies of the Hobbit book. This is a an interesting scenario. You've got a small number of participants, but they're all cavalry, so they're all big models. We've got Alrond, Heavy Armor Horse, 12 Rivendell Knights with Shield, and on Evil, Yasneg, the one and only on Felwag, 12 Hunter Orcs on Felwag, and 12 Felwags. Yeah. Play this scenario in the Rocky Plains near the Hidden Valley. So the Evil start right in the middle of the board, it's a it's a four by four board, so they start in the middle. They have to run to the edge. They have to scatter off, and the the good player basically has to try and take down Yasneg and stop a half of them getting off the board. These objectives are harsh. They are so harsh. So a draw is Yasneg gets off and pretty much nothing else. A win for the evil player is fifty percent of the evil force gets off the board. Really, really tough. It says the game lasts for 10 turns, which I think is almost a joke. We never, ever lasted for 10 turns. That's a, a very strange turn limit. And the elves have a special rule. They get priority for the first two turns. So this scenario first came out in a white dwarf uh, just before the books, actually. I think it was written a long time before that. And it's got some, some interesting rules. We, we made one mistake in it, but I have some concerns about this scenario as well, which I'll go into. Are you ready for the concerns, Matt? I'm super ready for these concerns. Let's hear them. Firstly, Rafa Bruinen. This one spell is like, you've got priority for, for Alron. So he gets within range. He can't charge first turn. He doesn't have the range to charge because they very correctly write you have to be more than 10 inches away. But he moves up in range of half the evil force, knocks down Rafa Bruinen. If Yasneg fails to resist it, or if Elrond casts it away from Yasneg, you've already lost like a quarter of your models to strength two attacks. So it just punches a hole in the army. So your counter for this as the evil player is to call heroic move of Yasneg, which uses up his very valuable might and means that 
Uh, it's a 50-50 usually. Elrond usually counters it. But if he doesn't, Elrond just spends time catching up a little bit later. Now, this is where we did make a mistake. We thought that Elrond had March, which he doesn't anymore. So he catches up a bit slowly. So that's the best choice. But it's a pre-written choice almost, which we don't really like. So you've got to be careful with that. Um, the priority for the first two turns is really harsh. So, And with the Elrond's... Um, his foresight rule where he gets extra points to spend on, on priority. He essentially has priority for the first four turns usually, which is harsh for a, for a scenario where the evil side has to get off the board. It's really, really tough. They've got very limited might. Uh, Yasneg himself, if he gets charged, he's in a lot of trouble because he's got a two handed weapon. He does not have a hand weapon. So if he doesn't get on the charge, he doesn't get any kills and the Rivendell Knights just clean them up. So it's really tough. We usually played to about turn six. Then the game was over either way. Either the models are off or they're all dead. Usually they're all dead. I actually think that this was written with the old rules before Alron got all his buffs. And it probably hasn't changed due to the time to release and things like that. It might be different. But even then, I think the 10 turns is too much. I would cut that down and probably be a bit generous on the, the victory conditions. But it was actually a fun scenario. It looked really cool. Uh, it was good to be able to play with the Rivendell Knights, but in terms of balance, it was a bit wonky. Yeah, so this is one of those just unfortunate situations, isn't it, where it's just kind of the new rules have, have completely unbalanced it, and, and I guess they didn't do anything to fix that up. When we first played this scenario, I thought it was going to be a bit like uh, Wag Attack from like the old book where like you basically had... Cavalry versus cavalry, and it was it was basically a glorified infantry fight until someone got knocked off the horse, off their horse or wag. But this one, it, it didn't even really feel like that because the wild the the fell wags kept getting you know basically instigated by the knights, and all of the mounted wags kept getting knocked off their actual wags because Alrond is that powerful because you know he's Elrond. You you throw two dice at it and watch what he does to cavalry. Feels like if the evil player, uh, sorry, if the good player plays really dumb, like keeps them still and tries to shoot out the evil player, evil has a chance. But otherwise, if good's willing to fight combat and is willing to get between the rocks and block them off, there's not much you can do about Alrond. He's really, really good. And Yasneg even has trouble taking out a single Rivendell Knight because he's he's got to be on the charge. He's only fight four, yeah. So he's in a fair bit of trouble as well. So he has to win his fight. You probably want to call a heroic combat with him, but you're spending all your might on moves at the start of the game because you're guaranteed not to have priority. And we don't get a live priority really to about turn four or five. So I would, I would actually strip this right down, get rid of that silly first two turns priority, maybe give it to the good player for the first turn. I would even consider losing the foresight and... Wrath um, of Bruin and, and play it out that way because I think it potentially kills the scenario if you just knock them all over. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It's it's a bit. I've always found um, scenarios with spellcasters can be really, really kind of like tricky to to balance because if they're, it kind of goes one of two ways: either the spells goes off, then that's the game, or they flop their spells and they've lost. It's, it's it, it can be a bit kind of tricky to, to work a way around it. And I almost feel like in the situations where you do want to put a spellcaster into a scenario, you need to kind of almost put enough models in into the game so that the spellcasters, you know, 
big kind of move isn't going to decide the game that and they're on a, a single opposed dice roll. I think the concern as well is just the deployment of the evil is so tight that Elrond can hit almost all of them with the, the Wrath of Bruinen. So it just rips through the force early on. And it, it the, the good side never feels any stress, really. Like, occasionally you lose Yasneg and get the draw, but it's it feels like one of those flukes more than anything else in terms of skill. So I think we need yeah. to probably rework this, come back to it in a future episode at some point, and play that differently. Because I really like the idea of it. I just think it's... Uh, the new rules failing it just a little bit. I, I really feel like the designers of the scenario, though, have just gone, yeah, this is right. Elrond is just going to destroy all of the Hunter Orcs. Like, that sounds correct to me. So he just goes in, he Wrath of Bruinens them, he, he conjures a lake from nowhere, a river, a running river, and just cleanses the earth of the Hunter... Ooh, that sounds awful, but he does that to the Hunter Orcs. That's what he does. So, um, yep, perfectly designed scenario does exactly what you'd imagine, exactly like the films that was kind of shot semi-off-screen because we were following the uh, Thorin's company, but yes, that no, it's 100% correct. I think this was fully designed this way. Mm. Yeah, look, if that's the case, Matt, which I take your point, don't necessarily agree with it, but if that's the case, I want that turn limit to be really stressful the good side. I want them to have to use some really thinking power to try and wipe them out with a turn limit, 10 turns is just way too long. Like, you can you can almost do that accidentally in that time. So if it was six turns and they had to wipe out every single one, no one escapes, then you may have a point. That's actually, that's a really good call. There's only so much time in the day and there's a lot of Hunter Orcs to wipe out. So you make it, yeah, it's a really nice little change would be good for the scenario, I think. Yeah, if that's what you want, then just adjust the turn limit. All right, let's head into our next segment. Mustering an up. And we're back, and we're ready for mustering an army. Kylie, what list have you got for us today? Yes. Uh, okay, so this is actually a list that I actually plan on running to a tournament that we have here in Oz uh, kind of kind of soon. June's kind of soon. Yeah? June's kind of soon. It's soonish. Cool. yes. So, so uh, Silmarilli is a 650 tournament, so my army list is 650. So we're going to start off with Warband number one. Uh, our leader of the warband and the leader of the army is Glorfindel, Lord of the West, on Ashfaloth with the Fanty Pants Armor of Gondolin. I feel like uh, Glorfindel is a pretty strong uh, kind of straight-up choice. Like, he is just that good now. In his warband, he has three high-elf warriors with elven bow, three high-elf warriors with spear and shield, and three just regular high-elf warriors uh, feeling sad about life because they don't have any other weapons. In warband number two, uh, full warbands, we have Kiran the shipwright, uh, with eight high-elf warriors with shield and spear, one high-elf warrior with banner and shield, and three high-elf warriors uh, just with their blades. And finally, in Warband number three, we have a High Elf Captain with bow and seven High Elf Warriors with bow. 
So all up, 33 models, 11 bows, decent amount of might, I think 6 might. We have Kidan in there and the unstoppable Glorfindel. Now tell us about this combination of Kierdan and Glorfindel that you've been spruiking all week. Alright, alright. Well, for starters, Kinan really is that good. Like, we harped on about it a little bit before, but I've been playing, like, some just random practice games with this list at the moment, and Kinan, what I love about him is he's just so goddamn flexible. Like, he can do just about anything you need him to do. Like, if you need him to buff your army, like, so you don't run away from courage tests, he's your guy. If, if, you, if you're up against an orc orb with no shaman, he's your guy. If you're up against a mass shooting army of scariness, he's your guy. Like, there isn't much you can do. But the really awesome thing that I absolutely love about his kit now is the fact he has Enchanted Blades. And Enchanted Blades, in combination with the fact that all our high elves now have hand-and-a-half weapons, which is, I still think that's redonkulous, but moving on, that all high elves have uh, hand-and-a-half weapons, means that at a pinch, you can just buff any of the other, like, models in your army just to get, like, you know, a little bit of extra damage output on critical combats. Or, more importantly, you can throw an Enchanted Blades on Glorfindel and watch him as he goes heads up and pricked into pretty much everything because he's Glorfindel and watch him beat face. Even Mortal Troll Chieftains, he doesn't care. He'll just go heads up into a Mortal Troll Chieftain and go... Can't brutal power attack me. What you gonna do? I'm re-rolling to wound. Have at me. And then you can go in. I really like that cheeky little elf uh, bow warband you've got as well. Like, it's just enough to be really annoying. The captain with the bow, the seven warriors with the bow, just being annoying. Because you're gonna spend all your time focusing on Glorfindel, and that's gonna eat away at you a fair bit at 650. It's pretty nasty. Plus, the captain... Uh, with the the might points as well is pretty handy just to like knock out you know a Gothmog's wag or a a Bolg's wag or an Aragorn's horse or something like that and just be really really handy to just knock out those um, key targets that you just you, you know have to die or have to get removed. Plus March and you know you know what we say about March. March just is just like a must you need in your army I think especially for this kind of an army. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree. I, I think. That's a really nice amount of bows. Like, it's actually quite threatening at 650, depending on what army you're facing. Yeah, it's it's 11 bows, but the, the fact... What makes the bows so potent is the fact that you can go, Oh, I'm against another all-shooting army. Cast Blinding Light, 11 bows. I'm probably going to outshoot you. Yeah, at 650, there's not a lot that could outshoot that. When hitting on sixes, especially, yeah. Not unless they're like Galadrim with a Galadriel, or uh, maybe Gondor with a with a Gandalf. But even then, you, you're looking at putting like another cast blinding light hero, or a um, uh, a Paul Shadow, or or just being obnoxiously fast, like you know drum march combination, just run at your face. But this is a high elf army; they don't care if you run at their face. They want to fight you in combat. They're good at fighting things in combat. And both those heroes you mentioned are significantly more expensive than Kierdan. Yes, yes they are. So you're not likely to see a Glorfindel in any lists that are carrying the, either of those. So yeah, it's it's a lovely little combination you've come up with here. I like it a lot. Plus I really like Glorfindel as a leader at this kind of points level simply because he has, one, the armor of 
I don't give a crap anymore. Watch me have resistance to magic. Sorry, not resistance to magic. Doesn't get. Watch me not be targeted by brutal power attacks and be defense seven. And the fact that he also has, you know, Lord of the West and Unbending Resolve on him, which makes him one extraordinarily difficult to beat in combat, and two makes him nigh untargetable with uh, uh, spells and the such, because it's really hard to get through, you know, three will and the two freebies a turn as well. Yeah, and Lord of the West, so when he's going into combat, you know, he's doing some damage. Yeah, like, it's 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 such a good combination all around. And, and I'm just, like, kind of re-looking at the profile now, just as I'm, like, saying it, just to remember his rules. I haven't been remembering he has Horse Lord. Oh, yeah. I've remembered Ashvalos move 12. And oh, my God. I forgot about the move 12. Yeah, wow. yeah no, the move 12 is, like, crazy good. But I just remembered, like, looking at it now. He has Horse Lord. That's so good. That yeah, means those fantastic. two games that I've played where Ashvalos has died for nothing means he hasn't died for nothing. He could have lived. Matt, my Ashvalos could have lived. <laughs> could have lived, yep. No, that's amazing, actually. 12 inches with three fate points. Yeah. Very, very nice. Very affordable as well. It's uh, What is it, like 160? Uh, 170. 170 for him. Oh. But that's Seems just... a bargain. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you get everything you need for 650 points in a Glopendal. You gotta kill him the old-fashioned way. Trapping him and beating him over the head with a big stick. So that's kind of my little fun little, well, it's not really fun. It's going to make people cry. Uh, 650-point Silmarillion list that um, I have no fear in letting people know because, you know, I did really well last time. So, Jeremy, what have you got for us? I have gone for 1,000 points. So the big army list for me, I have had some feedback from listeners saying to tone it down a bit, like 1,500, 2,000 is too much. So... I've tried to restrict myself to 1,000. I had trouble, but I did it. And I have a, a great 1,000-point list. I start off with Elrond, the master of Rivendell, with horse and heavy armor. Elrond is a machine now. He is so good. The the Nature's Wrath thing brewing and that, that does a whole bunch of damage. If you have Defense 4 guys around, he just rips a hole in them. He's got Heroic Defense, which is cheeky if you get in the wrong spot. Uh, I just love his um, the rerolls to win the attacks, the the rerolls to wound. Uh, spirits hate fighting against him. He's not too worried about fate because he gets to reroll it, and he gets to do a whole bunch of stuff. But more importantly, he's got a rule for the army list where Rivendell knights do not count towards your bow limit. So I've taken advantage of that and given him one Rivendell knight with banner and shield, and eight Rivendell knights with shield to accompany him. So only nine models, but I don't want my cavalry warbands to be too big. Otherwise, trying to fit them on the table is a bit of a pain. Although with the elves, you just split some of them off and you wouldn't worry too much. But even with deploying in warbands can be very restrictive if you have more than nine models around. I agree, Kylie. Warband number two. I have a high elf captain with shield, seven high elf warriors with spear and shield, a high elf warrior with banner, spear and shield, and then the typical... Four high elf warriors with elf bow, and I had some points, so I gave him spear as well. So everyone's got spear in this warband. It's a really flexible little block. The idea is that it holds its gap, so it basically use it to stop your cavalry getting surrounded. You plonk it down somewhere between a gap in a forest, whatever, and it dies slowly. 
it's not going to kill a whole bunch of stuff unless it's it outnumbers or is munching on a flank, but it's going to be a very reliable warband and pretty hard to shift. It's a big size, all infantry. If it wants to stay there, it's going to stay there. Warband number three, I've gone for a little bit of tricks here. My old favorite, Gildor with eight Noldor in exiles with throwing daggers and spears. So I've really kitted them up. And then four Noldor in exiles with bow. So everything here can threaten. Everything can shoot, either throwing daggers or elf bows. And they all move eight. So this warband is very, very cheeky. It moves around, it floats around. It's a bit more fragile than my last one, but I'm not too worried because I shouldn't let the enemy catch me unless I want them to. And my fourth warband to go with this is Arwen with Asphaloth because Asphaloth is just fantastic. I wanted that second Bruinen attack, so I've got the double chance of it. So when it goes off, it really goes off. And Arwen's accompanied by just three Rivendell Knights with shield because I wanted to use up just a few Rivendell Knights. Uh, I've got a full box of them, or two boxes of them, 12 of them, so the army's obtainable. But it's enough that, that Arwen's got some protection, and she can be a nice little decoy deployment. She can jump off on her own. She can handle herself with the point of might and the, the spell. So if someone comes at her, she's pretty confident she can at least annoy them. But she also can, can help out Gildor. So that's my thoughts, is that she follows Gildor around, uh, getting objectives and being annoying. I've got a block infantry with the captain and then Elrond's my hitting power he just runs forward with his Rivendell knights finds a flank of the enemy and just rips it apart hmm my critical assessment skill spidey sense is tingling um i don't mind most of the list but i'm a bit suspect with warband three i'm not a fan of the gildor in this situation it's just because i didn't want to take Kidan and copy you well, that's that's all well and good, but I feel like you're missing a very, very uh, useful uh, uh, synergy piece uh, from the Rivendell list in, uh, I think, uh, played by a very uh, well-known New Zealand actor, Brit, uh, also known as Lindy of Rivendell. I think he would have worked so well as your third warband hero, and just plonking another block of uh, Defense 6... Um, high elves in that list because the high elves with only one warband of foot of high elves they're not gonna they'll easily be like kind of like trapped they can be easily trapped and overwhelmed and i feel like you need that second warband of like 12 to 13 models just to reinforce them and just go right i have 20 20 odd elves here in this block i can park them in a position on the table and know that they're not going to move at which point you then, you know, you swing in Arwen from one side, you swing in Elrond from the other side, and do a serious hammer and anvil tactic. With Gildor providing that third warband, I don't think he's uh, reliable enough and bulky enough to be able to hold that space up. Yeah, I don't plan to hold space with Gildor. He's basically going to harass as well. It's a very harassy list, but I take your point. If you want to just be a block and, and fight the open ground, fight the combat list then yeah, absolutely. But I feel like it's a it's an avoidance list as much as anything. And then fighting is almost secondary because there's so much bows in it. There's lots of Rafa Bruin in. So if I do go in, everyone's on the ground. So the Gildor doesn't care then. But it's a good point. Lindel is very tempting and he's a, he's a nice swap out. And the points work pretty well. You can pretty much just swap them one for one. You're right. You could just get a Lindel. So I take your point, Kylie. Um, I still like my list, but I take your point. Okay, I, I just think that the extra 
like because even then you get resistant to magic and all your models um when lindia moves and you would also pick up the free point of will on elrond which can be invaluable going in in like long kind of scenario plus they also buff like the wise council rule like the the range in which lindia needs to be near elrond it's i think it's six inches now instead of three so that can be really handy i just i don't know i after playing with um, Gildor in some, like, bigger tournaments with, you know, just Gildor and then, like, a couple of warbands of High Elves, I actually am starting to shy away from including Gildor into army lists with predominantly High Elves just because having the Defense 3 gives your opponent something to target and kind of focus down. And if they knock out Gildor and the, and the Wood Elves, you kind of can get a bit pressed to respond to that because yes the move eight is really handy to run away from um infantry but if you get closed on by cavalry or something faster then they're going to go down really quickly and as great as wood elves are you need their kind of throwing weapon shenanigans on mass to really really kind of push their point home okay kylie i've just done some point tweaking i've taken on board your suggestions and now my Warband 3, here's an option for those who want to go for the Kylie list. We've got Lindil with Horse and Heavy Armor. The idea is that he keeps up with Elrond. And then just a block, seven High Elf Warriors with Spear and Shield, and four High Elf Warriors with Elf Bow and Spear. Again, lots of Spear with my Elf Bows. I absolutely love it. Just a word of support for Gildor. He does give you a really interesting third spell in there as well. Like, you, you, casting that transfix early on really gives your opponent some food for thought, whether they're going to use uh, some will to resist or save it for the inevitable, um, uh, what's it called? Sure, Rath- immobilize, immobilize isn't what it used to be. And, no, that's true. Um, and like, okay, yes, Gildor does have, you know, resolve and defense and march, but March, you're not too fussed about because you already have another captain list. Defense is nice if you need to use him to run like an intercept on another big hero at any point, and resolve is nice if you to to kind of um, block enemy spells when you're starting to run low on will. But Linda gives you all that. Linda gives you a free point of will, and Linda gives you resolve if you really need it. So I can see your case for Gildor, but I don't think this is the kind of list Gildor wants to be. Uh, sitting in, I think he wants to be sitting in a list with um, either a Gandalf or a Galadriel or other more Wood Elves to really take advantage of what he can bring to the table. Sure. Uh, also, just another aside, I did not realize Wood Elves now all got Elven Cloaks. Oh yeah, they're super cool. Yeah. They're super wow. ninja-like. Yeah, no, they're awesome now. Very yeah. nice. It is really cool. Downside is Elven Cloaks don't work on other infantry model, like other models, you have to actually physically be behind terrain. But yeah, yeah, still good. Matt, what have you got? All right, what have I got? I've got a list that I actually used recently. Uh, it has Gilgalad, High King of the Elves. I've already talked a lot about how much I love Gilgalad. He is great. Uh, he has is leading one High Elf warrior who is sad because he has no equipment, as Kylie mentioned. Uh, six high elf warriors with spear and shield, three with elf bow, and one with a banner and shield. 
In my second warband, I have Erastor. I have one more High Elf Warrior who is sad with no extra equipment. I have four High Elf Warriors with Spear and Shield, and three High Elf Warriors with Bow. And then a very similar looking warband, which is instead led by a High Elf Captain with Elf Bow. Again, one sad warrior, four with Spear and Shield, one, uh, sorry, three with Bows. So, pretty stock standard. Um... Now, my thinking behind this, I love the kirdan Glorfindel combo, but something I've been running into a lot lately is not having that sort of extra threat. Now, Erastor seems fairly, like, not average, but not really that threatening at first, but when you get him into something, you realise, oh my goodness, he's re-rolling everything. He does a lot of damage, a lot of surprising damage, and he can catch people out. And when you focus, when you've got Gilgalad in your list, what ends up happening is they will focus so much on Gilgalad, Erastor ends up doing a heap of work because they just don't have enough resources to prevent him from uh, from doing what he wants to do when they're spending so much time on Gilgalad. So uh, I ended up getting a very solid win with this list on the weekend. Um, surprisingly, the army bonus actually came into effect. I was getting, I, I was rolling terrible to hit. I was rolling lots of ones and twos, but because I hadn't moved and because Gilgalad was in range and I'd set everything up perfectly, which is what you have to do with this army bonus, unfortunately, uh, I actually made it work and I got a ton of shots in and probably killed a dozen models before combat, I think. So yeah, it was really handy uh, in that game. Don't know how many games there will be like that, but yeah, I'm not a massive fan of the army bonus. Would it not be better to perhaps drop a worry here or there and use Gilgalad's fantastic upgrade rule to get some Kingsguard in there? Fight six elves are pretty solid. Stole I... the words right out of my mouth, Jeremy. Yes. Now, I absolutely had considered that, um, but then I realized that I had no conversions for them, so I would have had to do something... I would have had to make the army composition a bit weird to be able to do that without annoying my opponent. So, th this is the list I took on the weekend, but you're absolutely right, you could drop, uh, like... A single high elf warrior and make, say, all your high elf warriors with bow, Kingsguard, or... Yeah, The yeah. six high elf warriors with spear and shield and Gilgalad's warriors, Kingsguard. I just... I really am a big fan now of the fight six troops, uh, so, um, those being the Kingsguard for Gilgalad out of Rivendell, the, uh, Guards of the Galadrim from Lothlorien and um, the Bodyguard, Palace Guard for Thranduil. I've found that just being able to put a Fight 6 Elf, just a generic Warrior Schmuck, into a hero like Gothmog, even better, uh, Ringwraiths, even other Fight 6 heroes like Aragorns and Boromirs can be really, really frustrating for your opponent because then they have to find a way of diverting resources to deal with the fact that they're now at lower fight. And it can buy you time when you had otherwise had no other right to buy time. And that fight six can it can just do so much work for you. And if you get lucky with like a turn where you can like get in and surround and trap a like a captain or something, the fight six can be the the coup de gras which allows you to get in with like, you know, four or five warrior dudes and just knock down a captain in a single turn. Oh yeah, absolutely. And as I said, it was uh, it's only my hobbying restrictions that uh, didn't allow me to do that on the weekend, but I definitely would recommend getting as many of that Fight 6. Now now that you can't just spam it out the whole army, 
you pretty much have to go with the the full um warband with Gilgalad and get as many in as you can. But yeah, it's super yeah. handy. Like you you see the effects um you know in the same regard with the fight five against fight four captains. Like you can see how painful that is for your opponent when their guy that's meant to be doing some damage is just losing fight after fight. And that's what elves do. <laughs> that's what they do best. Something I actually forgot on the weekend, I, I played the whole game out and completely forgot about Lord of the West, so uh, I can say that Gl Gilgalad is very, very good because I didn't even use one of his best rules and I still won comfortably. Did you use Blood and Glory at all? I think I... Yeah, he killed Bulg. <laughs> I, th I wiped out the army <laughs> in the end, so I mm. probably got back to might points, I think. Yes. Love that rule. So good. Yes, it's amazing. All right, so we're back around again. Who's doing the next list? I might as well pick up the next the next one. So this list is a little bit wacky, a little bit zany, a little bit kind of out of the box, if you will. Um, so I've kind of gone for a little, like, uh, if anyone remembers, like, this is going back, like, 10 years now, like, the old uh, scaring of the Shire and like Shadow and Flame kind of era, where we had those like weird looking brown books with like extra little scenarios and stuff. So, this list that I'm about to kind of uh, go into is basically ripped straight from um, uh, uh, that scenario, a scenario from there. Um, and it's the one where Bilbo Baggins journeys from the Shire to Rivendell. So, my army leader and my first warband is. Aragorn uh, as Strider with bow, uh, three rangers of the north, one of, uh, two of which have a spear. And then in warband number two, I have Gildor, nine Noldorian exiles, three with throwing daggers, three with bow, and three with wood elf spear and throwing daggers. Then I also have Bilbo Baggins with a mithril coat, sting, and the ring. Uh, the ring is in there simply for the fact that you can take it for free, and if you're playing a points match your game, you're going to take the ring for free. But if you want to play it theme for theme, just don't take the ring. But I'm not sure why you would want to, because the ring is really, really, really good. And one random high elf warrior with shield and spear. And that comes out to a uh, grand total of 500 points uh, with 16 models. Gee, Bilbo's in some good company there, isn't he? He is in some very good company. Having a warband of elves around him is uh, kind of handy. Remind me, so Bilbo goes into the warband? Is that because he's a um, yeah. one of those minor heroes? Yeah, so um, independent heroes now can uh, be added to another hero's warband as if they were a follow like any other warrior in your army unless of course they have a special rule that prevents them from doing so ergo mm. shelob has the lone hunter rule where she has to be taken by herself yeah that makes sense i kind of i i like this i i'm trying to envision how it plays and it's clearly going to be a aragorn does everything avoidance type list but it, i like the theme of it i remember that scenario was great fun so I imagine it's going to have some tense games. If someone gets into combat with it quickly, it's in a lot of trouble. But if it manages to dance around in the void, then it could do some damage and be annoying. I like all the throwing daggers. I think they're going to be a secret weapon. 
Yeah, plus uh, a little uh, cheeky Bilbo charge with like a couple of elves into a big scary thing and chuck a ranger to the north in there as well and suddenly you're in a good chance of taking something out. Just what does Bilbo do exactly? Just describe you how, how you'd use him in this army. So the way I envision him at is is being like a cheeky little uh, tag team with say uh, Gildor or better still yet Aragorn, because Bilbo and Aragorn uh, will have if Bilbo has the ring on will have five higher fight than any other model in the game, because Bilbo halves the fight and then you got Aragorn in there with fight six. Bilbo then also has a um, also has an elven blade in Sting, so he can you know win the roll offs a little bit easier if it ever should come to that. And then Aragorn goes in for the kill with you know the three pointer might going hand and a half if he needs to. Nice. Did you consider Andrew? Was it a theme choice not to take it? It was a theme choice not to take it. Okay. Probably be better if you did take it. Not required though, but you know. It is what it is. It's just a fun little 500 point list if you kind of, if you're looking for a challenge and kind of, you know, want to flex your skills and stuff, uh, you could, at a pinch, you know, pull this army out if you've got it and see what you can do with it. It's kind of one of those kind of armies that you kind of have to make your own fun with it and kind of go in with the kind of mindset of, I'm probably not going to win this game. But I'm going to make it as damn hard for my opponent as possible to try and win. And, you know, gives you a good, you know, little mental workout trying to figure out how to win with 16 models. Jez, what crazy uh, allied concoction have you come up with for us? I've also gone for a yellow ally one. There's a lot of yellow ally choices for Rivendell. I've, I'm not sure how effective this is, but I've gone for the Kylie method of a, a bit of fun as well. I love the, the Radagast Alliance heroes. I think they're great fun to play with. Uh, I know that I've taken Radagast, which is probably a Kidan that can fight combat, but I don't care. I like him. So for 200 points, I've got the full Radagast kit. Slay, Sebastian, Staff of Power. Uh, I can make all my friends cause terror. I can heal up himself or anyone else in the list that may need healing. I can go in and and charge things and have a good chance of taking them out. I also can cast spells, uh, Nature's Wrath, regularly. So I'm going to have good fun with that one. I've also got uh, a Bayorn as well. So I've gone for the big, hitty monster. I feel like if you can take this guy on your list, he's always good fun. You can always try and hug a Mulmak to death or do something fun with him. He's tough to get rid of. Uh, I know that sometimes he can totally fail you and never turn into the bear, but I think he's he's a good choice and he's a, he's a fun choice. And having spent 400 points on two heroes with no friends, I've gone for some elf friends. So in Warband, the first war, elf Warband, I've gone for Aladan and Elro here because I like the idea that they were wandering around and I think they fit it relatively themey. This is very much a Wanderer-type list. They've gone for a heavy contingent of elves. So they've got horse, heavy armor, and elf bow. I've gone six high elf warriors with spear shield, four high elf warriors with elf bow, no spear this time. And one high off warrior with a banner, spear, and shield. So a little tiny block with heroes that do all the work. And basically they team up with Bayorn and Radagast and create a, a four-hero wall. Now my next warband has a high off captain for the all-important march, if we need it. A horse, lance, and elf bow. So a harassment hero as well. He's got the bow. He's good. He's got seven high off warriors with spear and shield. 
four high elf warriors with elf bow and one high elf warrior with banner spear shield. So I've gone because I've got such such low numbers and such a reliance on heroes. I've gone for the double banner. So the thought is that the banners will follow all the heroes, and I don't just have to fight on one front. I can fight on two fronts. It's very much a heroes do all the work, and the infantry stays back and is annoying and, and supports and stops them being trapped and all that sort of stuff. And at a thousand, it's it's definitely hit or miss. I feel like it'll be an easy modular downgrade to 800 if you just drop Radagast or Bayorn, your choice. But I think it's going to be a fun list to play with. And like Kylie's, it's a, a bit of a puzzle type list. What can you do with your heroes and how can you keep the game going long enough to, to get a win? I really like the addition of the double banners in the list because you don't really have any other space to put any other troops in the list. Like, you could downgrade Aladdin and Elro here to a smaller hero and maybe pick up an extra five models, but I like the the addition of, you know, having the double banners with the twins, and I think it's with how big a base Radagast and Bjorn have, it can be tricky to get your banner to cover everything, so having the second banner can be really, really useful in that regard. The more I look at this list, the more I love it, honestly. I actually, like... At first, I just sort of went, oh, yeah, Radigas Beyond, cool. But, like, oh, it does it does so many different things. It's got the two banners, which is actually brilliant, I think, at the, like, having a smaller number of models, but you're just going to have the banner everywhere and just fight in a small section of the board. I, I think, oh, and Beyond's just not going to die. You just heal him back. It looks fantastic. And the terror. Yeah. yeah Radigas making all the elves cause terror. Exactly. Nasty. Yeah, brilliant. Ah, oh, I really like this list a lot. Ooh, yeah. Yes! Yeah. I might have to get the sleigh. It's yeah. hard to get at the moment, but you can borrow mine. And Kylie, do you have one as well? Uh, I have the sleigh and beyond. Actually, I've got this entire list painted except for the second banner. So I may paint up that second banner and just throw it down in the game and see what happens. Living the dream, this is exactly what I want from the list, to inspire people and think, yeah, I want to take that. It's a bit wacky. Good. I want to see this on the table. Should be fun. I reckon, I reckon I could get a win with it. I reckon I could get a win with it. Oh, definitely. It looks really effective to me. Looks we like a hell of a lot of fun, too. Mm. If, like, if, 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 if it was you making the decision, Jeremy, would you drop, uh, for 800, would you drop Radagast or Beyond? Um, I would choice because they synergize well together if you drop radigast you've suddenly dropped your terror and your healing power so bayon's a little bit more fragile your high elves are a little bit more fragile as well but if you drop bayon you lose your hitting power yeah. but that said radigast at a pinch can be a bit of a bayon in terms of hitting aladan and alro here hit pretty hard so i would probably drop bayon if i had to drop one of them because i feel that that terror that aura of dismay i think it's called is so important to get, like with, with low numbers, I don't want to be fighting outnumbered. I want the elves to be able to move, to be able to hold ground and avoid fights to give my heroes lots of times to get kills. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Cool. Sound plan. Hmm. Matt. All right. The the final list, I think. I think this is the last list. Yes, uh, Okay. List. All right. So I, I was kind of thinking, huh, theme for Rivendell. What can I do? And then I went, Nah, I'm not even going to do Rivendell. We're going over to the Grey Havens, everybody. And we're taking Kierdan. I know we've already talked a little bit about Kierdan. Uh, probably talked a lot about Kierdan. Uh, he's 
pretty cool. He's pretty good. I like him. Uh, I think he has to be the leader of this list. I haven't checked the tiers of all these heroes, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be the leader. Uh, he's Valor, right? Um, is that correct? Or is no, he Fortitude? No. no. Fortitude. Oh, okay, you cool. Get pick, you get to pick between all four of the heroes in your list. Interesting. Well, I'll leave that decision up to the listeners, because I have no idea who you'd want as the hero. Probably Kirdan, honestly. Um, so, Kirdan is leading four High Elf Warriors, three High Elf Warriors with Spear and Shield, four High Elf Warriors with Elf Bow, and one with a Banner and Shield. In the second Warband, I have a High Elf Captain with Elf Bow. I'm really liking the bows on the Captains. Uh, I, I think it just works really nicely. Uh, for all the reasons Kylie's already mentioned. You've got four mm -hmm. High Elf Warriors, uh, four High Elf Warriors with Spear and Shield, and four High Elf Warriors with Elf Bow. Very standard uh, warbands. Okay, and then assisting the Master of the Grey Havens and his elves there to uh, from any threats that might be around, we have some dwarves. We've got young Balan the dwarf with six warriors of... Erebor, I mean the uh, the Blue Mountains with shield. Six warriors of Erebor Blue Mountains with spear and shield. And he's got his cousin Young Dwalin the Dwarf with six more warriors with shield and six more warriors with spear and shield. Two really, really defensive blocks uh, with a couple of cool heroes to lead them. I have no idea if this list would be any good. I wrote it in about three minutes, but I, th I think the theme is solid. You've got a lot of warriors at... at 800 points so i think yeah. if you're just skilled enough with troops you probably have a good chance to win most of your games and i would make dwalin the leader because in those contests of champion ones the dwalin backed up by kirdan is gonna do some work oh yeah i forgot contest of champions was oh a my thing. god dwalin <laughs> with enchanted blades on him yeah can you remind me quickly i forget every time what does it do is it re-rolls okay okay so if if you cast it uh unchanneled it is re-roll or failed to wound rolls okay if you okay. cast it channeled it is plus one to wound re-rolling all failed attempts ah so if you channel it on dwellin you kill everything yes cool okay i've done it know. i've done it once before i channeled uh Enchanted Blades on Glorfindel and watched him probably just erase a troll off the table. Like, I'm not talking one of those, you know, smucky little cave trolls. I'm talking a Mordor troll chieftain from Mordor. Heads up, straight into him, not even trap, and just take him off the board in a single swing. Wow. Brutal. Yeah, so, yes. yeah, I actually, you know, after having written it, I didn't realize just how many warriors I managed to get in, in here, but the heroes are pretty cheap, aren't they? Yeah. 52 models in that map. Yeah, that that's is, massive. That is flood in a half. Flood in a half. Although yeah. you might have a bit of... You might have some troubles against, like, anything that can match. Although you have Fight 5. So even, like, the crazy Rohan, like, Master of Combat Legendary Legion is going to have a bit of struggle there. Jeez, what... Uh, I I, I've seen what that Legendary Legion can do. I think it would manage. But, yeah, yeah. I'm... <laughs> I think your biggest like problem with the list is uh, it can be very difficult for you to deal with big scary things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because um, you've only got one Dwalin. Like, imagine it's... if you like go heads up against like I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of a big scary thing that. Eo one, Alandan, Elro yeah. here, and Radigast on Slay. That exactly. In fact, that exactly. That exactly. Is... <laughs> 
But yeah, um, would not like playing that. As Jeremy that's said, eight, it would, oh, that's a thousand. That is a thousand. But even without Bjorn, that's still like really that would be very tough for this list. But I, uh, I think as Jeremy just said before, if you if you're playing the Warriors really well, you've got enough different options in there that I think you could just outlast those kind of models. Um, if you're playing it really well, I mean, it only takes a couple of failed combats and and you can do some damage. So. And I think all the Warriors of Erebor have axes, is that right? Or they have the option at yes, least? but they start as base strength 3, so you're only going up to strength 4. Yeah. In fact, honestly, I'd put more... I'd put my money on the elves with the two-handed weapons to do more damage than the dwarves. Yeah, but the point being that everything there has a little bit of option to, to get a little bit stronger. So, you know, and if you, you do have, have something... In. Yeah, you got Kid, yeah. and you, Kid and into Dwalin, um, if, you know, if you get that opportunity to take something on... Like, I, I can see this is the kind of list where you just wear down your opponent's might over time, uh, yeah. and then you strike. You know, you get the chance, and you take it. Only downside being you only have, what, two strikes? Does Dwalin, old school, young Dwalin have two might or three might? I think he only has two. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. I believe but... two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Two strikes. Oh, that's that's feeling... Oh. I'm Two strikes with enchanted blades. I mean, that might be all you need. But I mean, yeah, high, high off captain with um with the fight six and the elven blade can take on most things. The only concern, young Dwell and the dwarf is an interesting one in this list because he doesn't have a two handed weapon, so you you sort of uh, having trouble. Kidan does help him quite a bit. He can lower his fight value and reroll all wounds anyway. So I'm not sure that that Kidan is going to be targeting him all the time, but it might be a nice double up with the high off captain, having them fight back to back, having a high off captain getting Kidan, Enchanted Blades, having Balin using his lower the fight value and throw a Spearman behind him, like an elf Spearman with fight five. He probably doesn't care because he's only fight five himself. You've got some, some options, yes. but they have to do a bit of work. But Jeremy, you're also forgetting that if, uh, if you're going into a big scary thing such as, say, I don't know, a troll chieftain or a dragon, or even even just a cave drake, you're going to need the striker from Dwalin to win the fight. So you're not going to have the luxury of decreasing his fight value to get the reroll to win. It's like a corner case scenario where, you know, I don't know, you got up against a fight six like Aragorn or, or Amdur, and you've got the Elven Blade there to help you out a bit. But, I don't know, it feels... It feels a bit dicey at times. You'll do great against, like, you know, anything that's... Not, when nothing is higher than fight six, but the moment you, you hit a model that's higher than fight six, you're in for a rough day. Agreed. Agreed. You need his strike. He's one that you could actually consider piercing sometimes because the fight... The strength uh, five or six does make a huge difference. It means he can take out defense ten even, if, especially if you pierce. Having him going at that is pretty good. But I just wish he had the two-handed axe option because he's got the rule for it. He's got the the uh, the the no penalty for it essentially. But he doesn't have the weapon himself, so just that plus one built in would be really nice. So he's, that's his big disadvantage. Yeah, I didn't even realize that either. <laughs> I didn't know he didn't have the hammer. Okay. Oh well, I, I think it's just uh, one of those wear them down lists, but uh, and you know use infantry tactics, but. Yes, you raised some good points, and even the thing I said just before about having a, a couple of threats rather than just one, I have thrown out the window with my theme. So, there it is. Uh, Kieran to win because he's OP anyway. 
And with that, we're going to leave you. Uh, thanks for listening, and remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.